get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Centers a man in front. Perico right there. Shot on. Rebound. Walker left at the net. Parapchenko scores. They battled in front of the net. They stayed in front of the net. And Torabchenko capitalized. Almost along the wing. They center Shen into the slot. Kairou there. Score! What a shot by Kairou. The Blues get it in front. They work it to the front of the net. Shen shoots. He scores! Braden Shen. Power play goal. 4-2 St. Louis. Puck to the far corner. That'll do it. Bring out the Zamboni. Game over, and the Blues have won three in a row. And now, sit just six points out of a playoff spot. I'm picking up all right, alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner oh, Hendrickson, yeah. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Bust out the swim trunks, ladies and gentlemen. It's about to get warm in here. They don't call me flip-flopping BK for no Ooh. reason. We're broadcasting live from the NB Grand Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, I'm going to be totally upfront and honest with our audience. I didn't see that one coming. Did not see that one coming last night. Oh, yeah? 2 victory on home ice against a team that was, what, 20-3? and three? 23 and 3 on the road. Three regulation losses coming into last night were the New Jersey Devils when they played on the road. The Blues handed them their fourth regulation loss on the road. Again, last night. Uh, watching that game, I couldn't help but think to myself, this team might have a little something, man. Man, you fall quick. They they might have a little something. Did you fall for girls really quick when you so were dating? So hard and so fast. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing, Alex. I don't know if they can go on a run. But if they if there was a team that was going to go on a run over the course of the next three weeks, it would look like that. Especially a Craig Berube coached team. As I went through last night and I looked at the lineup, even as JR sent it out before the game, and it's a silly, stupid little thing that I do. I went through it and I was like, you know what? This makes sense. Barbie O'Reilly Buchnevich makes sense. Shin Thomas Kairu makes sense. The third line of Neighbors Achari and Blay is the most Craig Berube third line you could possibly come and up with. And they've been noticeable in three straight games. Toropchenko, Walker, and Pitlick, like whatever. Sure, yeah, that sounds good. I still think this team has real defensive liabilities. 
I think that the defensive core has to be made made over, whether it's at the deadline this year or in the future, because I don't think you can win a cup with this this top six defensively. But I do think there's more here than I previously said. And yes, I know 24 hours I peed in all of your Cheerios. I would like to make a public issue of an apology for doing exactly that. We don't if want you're your excited damn apology. about the Blues right now, you deserve to be excited about the Blues. That was a pretty cool scene last night at Enterprise. It's funny because Craig Berube was asked after the game why fans should believe in this team. And internally, I was expecting Craig Berube to say, we don't want him to believe in us. Because that seems to be the best way that this team performs. But this is what Craig Berube's response was. Well, if they watch us play lately, I think that uh, the effort, um, we, we have a lot of good players in this team. We all know that. Uh, but looking at the effort and the competitiveness of our team right now, the attitude, um, it's really good. And that's that's a big thing. You know, that, that stuff, that's what wins hockey games. That felt like the in-your-face moment. Like, stick that one from Craig Berube. I mentioned something, or I was chatting with a, a scout because there was plenty of them at the game last night, and Joey even mentioned that he talked with one. And the scout told Joey, and one scout told me, are you sure this is the eighth-worst team in the National Hockey League? Because they're not playing that way. Yeah. That's what a scout for a National Hockey League team was seeing. Now, take it with a grain of salt because we've seen this before. We've seen three straight games put together. It's but, been a minute, but we have. But what It has. December 15th. That's been a really long time. But what we haven't seen is this productive of an offense consistently. I mean, they've put together now 16 goals in three games. That's pretty impressive. Against one team that is really good defensively in the New Jersey Devils. Florida is a very good defensive team. And Arizona, well, Arizona is Arizona. But right now, they're playing into the system. They're buying into what the coaching staff is preaching to them. And what makes me... A little skeptical on this going south again is because they're winning with it. And when you win playing the right way, it gains confidence into it. And the one stat that I looked up last night after the game, which kind of... Ooh, stat boy. I know, stat Here boy. he comes. Stat, stat boy. boy. Here to save the world from your math problems. <laughs> 52 games they have played this season, or 53 games they have played this season. Last night was the 11th time. 54, but we'll, we'll accept it. Stat boy. <laughs> Last night was the 11th time that they have gone into the third period leading by a goal and won the game. Jeez. And only seven out of those 11 times have they not allowed the opponent to score in the third period. And they did that last night against a New Jersey Devils team, albeit did not have Jack Hughes, still a very good offensive New Jersey Devils team. So... It's hard to sit here and say, yeah, this is just a facade. It's a mirage. It's not going not to continue. I, I said that going into the New Jersey Devils game, and they wiped the floor with New Jersey. So Colorado's well, going to be a test? What do you mean, well? I, I thought it was a 50-50 game. They, they won on teams, basically. I, I didn't think that was like they a They had one ball. power play goal, and they didn't allow one power play goal from New Jersey. Correct. They won on special teams, essentially. Um, Three other four goals were even strength goals. I yeah, and, and New Jersey scored two at even strength. It, it was basically a 50-50 game, and, and they won. They, they deserve credit for winning. I'm not taking anything away from them. They beat a v very good team. But what I'm saying is, like, they did not wipe the floor with New Jersey last All night. All I'm saying is New Jersey did not look like an offensive powerhouse team last night. I, I thought you basically won that game because Jordan Bennington stood on his head and your offense played in a way that we haven't seen uh, for the most part this season. 
I mean, shots were basically even, hits were even, face-offs even. It was a pretty evenly played game. Blues took advantage of their opportunities, scored the goal on the power play, did not take many penalties, only had the one and were able to kill that off. So, like, only thing that I'm quibbling with here, Alex, is that I, I don't think that they wiped the floor with New Jersey last night. Regardless of any of that, it was a super impressive win. At this point in the season, I frankly don't care how you win. But when you do the way that they did last night and you have now shown in a sustained period over the last three games, whatever this new four check is, the five check, whatever you want to call it, it's working. And they're playing an inspired brand of hockey. And so when when you hear people say, and Joey kind of mentioned, alluded to it yesterday, hey, there, there's a better feeling in the locker room right now than there was previously. Listen, I'm somebody that's a little skeptical of that. But when I watch them play the way that they are right now, you can see it manifesting itself on the ice. They're trusting each other more. They're they're playing a better brand of hockey. And it looks like a team. I, I, again, I laugh at this most of the time. It looks like a team that had some addition by subtra subtraction by trading away Vladimir Tarasenko. You pushed back on that yesterday. I, I, I still do push back against the notion because it's hard for me to believe, man. It's hard for me to get myself to that place where I really do believe they got better by getting rid of a guy as skilled and as talented as Vladimir Tarasenko. But the way they're playing right now sure looks that way. And if they're able to sustain this at some point, I have to be willing to admit defeat. If I am presented more evidence of me being wrong, well, I can't just sit here and continue to be like, yeah, no, 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 no. You guys are all wrong. <laughs> uh, at some point, I have to accept it. I, I might end up being wrong on this. And I'm not wrong, though, that they got they, they wiped the floor with New Jersey last yeah, night. Yeah, you're that crazy with that, but that's fine. You can live on that uh, that pride rock if you'd like to have it. But, I, I mean, I don't know if, it, if it's solely Vladimir Tarasenko, but what I do know is the forwards are all fully invested in what they need to do to win hockey games. And you saw it last night. Back-checking, aggressive along the boards, not giving up those dumb turnovers. And what I'm really enjoying about this, and however you believe about the defense this season, I, I enjoy the way that the defense has been playing. They're going to give up their opportunities every once in a while because it's not the shutdown defenseman. But go back and watch that game last night. Everybody that was playing defense for the Blues, as soon as the puck was on their stick, they weren't looking for the pass. They were skating it to the neutral zone, then making the pass. And what you saw last night was very little turnovers, yeah. very little putting your team in a bad spot. And if there was one, then this F3 that Craig Ruby's been talking about, the uh, third forward in, that's the one that's able to protect those odd man rushes from the opponents. Can I... You've already peed in the Cheerios, man. I don't need any more milk. I'm playing devil's advocate, and there's no pun intended oh, here. Yeah, here we go. This is Get the squirt bottle ready, T-Bone. It's just me asking the question. Because I, I opened the show by saying I, I'm kind of falling for the blues again. Like, I I think there's a little, there's like a flirtation going on between myself and the blues. <laughs> you totally Ooh, fell. You totally fell for it if it's just you made eye contact with a girl. We're, we're going out on a few more dates. We'll see where this leads. Alex, the the I Coyotes. Get you blue chew if you need it, man. The the <laughs> bluechew.com. The, the blues are the one that might need it. <laughs> the uh, the uh, <laughs> the timing on these games has has helped, has been fortunate. Oh for yeah. The blues. How so? Explain your answers. The Coyotes didn't have the guy that you believe to be a legitimate number one defenseman in Jacob Chikrin because what do you, mean you believe people around the NHL believe that. Sure. They didn't have Chikrin. Okay. Almost blew that game. On Tuesday, 
The Panthers were playing on the back end of a back-to-back, -back and they had their backup goalie in net. He stinks. <laughs> Spencer Knight is not. And he, he hadn't played he a game. He was supposed to be really good, by the way. He a couple the, of years yeah. ago, people were like, oh, this guy's going to be a stud. He was drafted in the first round. He also uh, hadn't played a game since January 8th. Sounds like Florida could use Thomas Grice. Yeah. Probably. Thursday, Second last night, the Blues played against the Devil, Devils without their best player in Jack Hughes, and they also played their backup goalie in that game. Who, by the way, actually was good in the first two periods, I thought. Mackenzie Blackwood made a couple of saves for New Jersey. But in general, not not great. How much does that play into like something that we need to take into the evaluation for the Blues, in your mind? The timing of these games, playing two backup goalies, back-to-back, -back, no Jack Hughes, no Jacob Chikrin. Some of it because, I mean, you're getting the, the back end of a team that was just on the road and probably a little exhausted, playing a lot of games. Um, but how many times have we seen it this season that the Blues have played against an opponent on the second of back-to-backs and they look terrible? They're the ones that look awful. So, and for how bad this team has been on home ice up until the All-Star break, I put some stock into it, and I just went back and looked at this. You know how many games that the Devils have lost in the second of back-to-backs before last night? All of them. One. Oh. So they're a good team on the second of back-to-backs. Nice try, T-Bone. You didn't fall for it like <laughs> I did. said all of them. T-Bone, remember when you said that I'm not good at acting? Come on, man. You know better than that. <laughs> um, I, I would put some stock into it. I would did, put. Did you mean to say the Devils, or were you, were you talking about the Panthers? No, the Devils, who they just played last night. But they didn't play a back-to-back. -back. Yeah, they did. They played Columbus on Tuesday. Oh, boy. Pre-game was so incorrect then because I said that they played back-to-backs. <laughs> I think they played back-to-backs, didn't they? I was like, wait, I, I'm confused. Well, I thought BK said they were on a back-to-back, -back I did, too. too. I thought you had ago. said that the Devils were on a back-to-back. -back. No, Florida was. I thought I'm the Devils sure were, you said too. Devils no. did, too. You said Devils. Anyway, regardless. All right, go to if break. If I this did, that's on me. I apologize. But, no, regardless, it was the, it was the Panthers that were We on the have seen this, this team play against teams that are on the second of back-to-backs while the Blues are rested, the scenario that I thought was last night but hasn't been, but they've struggled. We've also seen this team welcome really good teams in to Enterprise Center and struggle. I mean, before last night, they were a 500 team on home ice. The other factor into it, too, is the Blues look at least ranked as an eighth-worst team. I think they're getting the luxury of teams coming in saying, this should be an easy win for us. And the Blues aren't an easy win. So I put some stock into that, but I also look at it and say, I mean, the Blues are playing a sound performance. They're not getting lucky. They're playing a sound Agreed. style of hockey that is kind of crippling their opponent. And the, that was why I went back and looked at that last night. I mean, prior to last night, 10 of their 52 games, one-fifth of their games this season, they've won a game going into the third period, only leading by a goal. And the fact that they found a way to do that against uh, a New Jersey Devils team last night was impressive. Hey, listen, we're going to find out. Like, if this is real, we'll know. Saturday, it. you're going to find out. Colorado is a real team. Ottawa it has had their ups and downs this season, but they do have skill. Carolina next Tuesday is a legit contender. They're scouring the trade market right now to find some more scoring. But that is a very, very good team. And if you're able to score the way that you have in your last three games against Carolina, we'll know that the offense is real. These next three games are going to be telling on whether or not what we have seen in the last three is real. So 
whether you're skeptical, if you're buying in, whatever you are, wherever you're at with this team, we're going to find out over the course of the next few games. We did get this. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll have Ask Us Anything coming up in about 30 minutes or so from the 314. Alex, is BK like this in real life? The answer to that is very much a yes, right, wrong, or indifferent. What do you mean by that? BK is a wonderful individual. Also, we got this from the 314. Guys, if you guys just looked up the definition of bandwagon fan, all you would have to do is read and it would say Brandon Kylie. Well, I mean, B- BK's not a bandwagon fan because I'm jumping on board with them. I mean, <laughs> there we go. I don't know how you can deny that. They're, <laughs> they're eight points out of a third place spot in the Central Division, and we all know what happened the last time the Blues were the worst team in the NHL. Boom! Stanley Cup. Let's jump on board, ladies and gents. In 15 minutes, we're talking to Jackie Redman of NHL Network. Excited to be able to get her thoughts on the Blues, where they're at right now, what she thinks they should do as we get closer to the trade deadline. Jackie Redman of NHL Network coming up at 11.30. But next, who's going to be the the Cardinals' breakout pitcher in 2023? Last year, it was Ryan Helsley with a bullet. Who's going to be that guy next year? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 10 minutes, we're going to be joined by Jackie Redman of NHL Network. Want to get her, her thoughts on what she thinks the Blues should do as we get closer to the NHL trade deadline coming up on March 3rd. But Alex, I did want to talk a little bit about the Cardinals today because MLB.com put out a piece on their five breakout pitcher candidates to watch in 2023. Now, we talked the other day. They had a piece on the breakout hitter candidates And Nolan Gorman was prominently featured among those candidates for them nationally. They did not have a Cardinals pitcher listed among their breakout candidates. A year ago, none of us were expecting Ryan Helsley to become what he was. He ended up being one of the best relievers in all of baseball, was a completely dominant performer from start to finish, really, last season. He was your breakout pitcher. Are there any obvious candidates for the Cardinals this year, whether it's in the rotation or in the bullpen, to be that breakout pitcher for 2023? I have one, and I don't know if he's obvious to a lot of people, but it's obvious to me, and it's the it's the reason that I have not been low on the Cardinals starting pitching this season because I view this guy as a major asset for their team, and it's Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery, when he was acquired at the deadline last year, came in and kind of a savior for their rotation because you didn't have Jack Flaherty. You were really needing strikeout stuff in your rotation, and he stepped in, and what was he averaging? Like seven strikeouts per start last season for the Cardinals? So I was already super high on him, and maybe he doesn't have a full season like he did with the Cardinals, but if you look at his full seasons that he played and pitched with the Yankees, he was a really good pitcher for them, and that's with the understanding that they don't have as good of a defense as the Cardinals have. So that... And then I read Ben Hockman's piece on the Post-Dispatch where he talked with Jordan Montgomery about adding a pitch back into his arsenal, which is kind of that um, sinker-splitter pitch, if I'm not mistaken. Slider, right? Slider. Okay, my apologies. But Ali Marmal believes that that is going to rise his strikeout rate this season. So I'm looking at a dude, and I know a lot of people aren't, but I'm looking at a guy who could be viewed 
as that one-two punch with Jack Flaherty this season. So it's interesting. Let's stick on Jordan Montgomery here for just a second. You mentioned the slider that he's he's working on this spring, and this happens every year. There's always a pitcher, um, honestly multiple pitchers, that come into spring with a either pitch that they used to throw that they're trying to reincorporate or just a new pitch entirely. They're trying to figure out, okay, is this a grip that can work for me? And sometimes it sticks. A lot of the times they, they try it, they use it in spring training, and they're like, ah, I just don't have a great feel for it. I'm going to go back to what I know. We'll see which side of things this falls on for Jordan Montgomery. But Montgomery's first season in the big leagues in 2017, he did throw a slider, and it was super effective, actually. He ended up that season opposing hitters hit 170 against his slider, and it came with a good amount of whip. It was one of his best pitches in terms of swing and miss rate as well, and it became one of his put-away pitches. It was that and his curveball. Those were the two that he was going to regularly to put away hitters. And then it just disappeared. The next season, he threw it 300 times as a starter in 2017. The next year, he threw it 40 times. The year after that, 2019, he threw one slider the entirety of the season. He has not thrown a slider in the regular season since 2019. I don't know why. I I don't know where it went. I don't know what happened to it in his arsenal. I don't know why he decided to go that direction. But, I mean, he's obviously been super effective without it. I'm fascinated to see if that ends up being something that can open things up for him as a lefty this year for the Cardinals. Didn't he come to St. Louis and wasn't throwing a pitch that he usually threw with the Yankees? And he comes to St. Louis, he started throwing it again. So he went super sinker heavy. And then with the Cardinals, he started using his four seam a little bit more often because they they believed that would open up more of his strikeout stuff. And it did. I mean, he became a strikeout weapon for the Cardinals. And somebody texted in on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Montgomery does doesn't really fit the essence of the question. He does if it becomes a player who you start to talk the way you did about Miles Michaelis last season of, hey, is he going to sneak into some Cy Young votes? That's what I believe Jordan Montgomery can be this season. We talked this offseason of they need that one-two punch of guys, oh, my God, I don't want to face him this season. That's Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery, and that's why I've stuck to it all offseason. He's the guy that I'd be giving a contract extension to if I'm Mo. Tanner, do you have a breakout candidate for the Cardinals when it comes to their pitching staff? Is there anybody that immediately comes to mind for you? So I turn to guys that are minor leaguers that I think could be kind of surprises that could break out. And one of them I've mentioned in the past, but I think he could be a weapon for the Cardinals. And honestly, I think they need somebody to kind of emerge in that seventh inning role. And and to me, that could be Connor Thomas. I I really like Connor Thomas. I I think he's, I don't think he's going to be a starter for the Cardinals. I think you could see him in spurts in the bullpen this coming season. And the other one, and I've mentioned him before, this Ryan Lotus kid is a guy to keep an eye on. Jumped three levels last year, bullpen arm, swing and miss, very analytically driven. I, I think it's going to be one of those guys that I think are going to be breakout pitchers that could kind of take that Andre Pallante-esque role where it's like, hey, I haven't really heard about him, has a good spring, makes the club out opening day, and ends up being one of those middle relievers that's really good for the whole season. If I'm looking at a pitcher that's like currently on the roster – I think the Cardinals really need Zach Thompson to have a breakout season. And and that may sound like kind of like what Alex was saying was, I don't know if he fits the mold of the question. Zach Thompson was really good, but can he be good enough to be the seventh inning guy for them this year and be that left-handed arm that they are relying on and decided to go with him, gamble on him this year and pass on the, the veterans like Andrew Chafin and Matt Moore. So mine is also out of the bullpen, and it's Wilking Rodriguez. And if you're not familiar with this guy, he was the one that they picked in the Rule 5 draft. And this is going to go one of two ways with Wilking Rodriguez for the Cardinals. It's either going to be he's a prominent member of their bullpen because they trust his stuff, and he's going to be somebody that like might legitimately be the next Luis Garcia, where he's pitching in the seventh and eighth inning for them regularly, throwing 100 miles per hour, or 
he's not going to make the roster. He's going to be handed back to the uh, Yankees probably before opening day. I, I think those are like the only two paths that this can end up taking for the Cardinals. But the guy's 33 years old. The last time he threw a pitch in the big leagues was 2014. He's a fascinating story. And I cannot wait to see what he looks like during spring training. If it ends up being bad, it's going to go really bad. But there's a chance that this is the next guy that they find that, and it comes from the Yankees once again, like Luis Garcia. They plucked him out of their minor league system, and he could pluck this Wilking Rodriguez out of their minor league system. A righty that throws gas and has a crazy high strikeout rate. That has the potential to be somebody that breaks out for the Cardinals this year. So that's the one that I would go with. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into a game of Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You get us any questions, sports or otherwise, in about 15 minutes. But Jackie Redman of NHL Network joins us next year on 101 ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio where the Blues are having their morning skate today at the Centene Community Ice Center. And right now we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the NHL Network's analyst. You can watch her on NHL Now later today, which is including her featured segment, Feisty Friday. That's coming up at 3 o'clock today over on NHL Network. She is Jackie Redman joining us here on the show. Jackie, we appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm headed to Mexico tomorrow. I'm not going to lie. So I'm doing wonderful. The countdown is on for me. So that's why it's a feisty Friday. You got to get all of that out before you go on vacation. There was a one, yeah, two, three Cancun coming from Jackie Redman at the drink. studio yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to go to the beach, drink in hand, stream hockey over the internet in nice weather. It's going to be great. I like that. You're building up for the trade deadline, Jackie. You got to make sure that you're well rested because you know when you return, it's just going to be 72 hours straight of hockey talk prior to trade deadline. Yeah, and then the final push for the playoffs, and then before we know it, it's going to be April. There's going to be postseason hockey. What's going to happen to the St. Louis Blues as we get closer to the deadline? I mean, you guys must not be getting much rest because every day I feel like we're talking something Blues-related. Yeah, so yesterday, Jackie, I came on the radio and I said, don't do not do this to yourself, Blues fans. Don't, don't try to buy back in. There's no reason to do that. Let's not get out over our skis. 
And then they go do that last night against a team that is 23-3 and on the road this season with New Jersey. I, I don't know what to make of this Blues team at this point in time. So maybe you can help us out, Jackie. What do you make of this version of the St. Louis Blues after they traded Vladimir Tarasenko? Well, it's interesting, right? Because it's undeniable that they have been playing really well and scoring a ton of goals, by the way, since the All-Star break and since the trade of Vladdy Tarasenko. There's no doubt about that. And I think it's interesting to see everyone, you know, ask the question on social media, are the Blues back? I think the Blues are back. And that might be true. Maybe the Blues are back. But I don't think that's the question we should be asking. I think the question is, is it too late? I mean, they're six points out of a playoff spot. They've got teams in front of them that are also fighting for for a wild-card spot at the very least. I mean, Colorado still isn't fully healthy, so that's a factor. I think that's the real question that we should be asking is, is it too late? And even though this team on their run to the Stanley Cup was in last place halfway through the season and made it happen, you know, this isn't the same team. They're missing a lot of of the core pieces from that cup run aren't here anymore. So um, I, I personally, I'm like, I don't know that the math helps them. Although, you know, taking a brief look at their schedule, their remaining games the rest of the year, they have a lot of winnable games down the stretch. So that's good. Um, I'm not sure where it ranks in terms of, of easiest schedules down the stretch, but we'll see. I'd be very curious to see how they play the trade deadline because they're in this weird spot where it's like uh are we or aren't we should we stay or should we go do we do full transition mode and like really make this jordan kairos team or what are we doing i want to ask you about trade deadline in in a minute jackie but just on the topic of the blues are you surprised at this season because last year all of the analytics said that the blues were going to start to hit that downturn that down spiral and last season they nearly beat colorado and could have gone to the stanley cup final this season the same analytics were there and a lot of people didn't buy into it but the first half of the season was very evident were you surprised at how this season unfolded for st louis I am. I I thought St. Louis would be better this year, actually. Like, I thought they were going to be competitive. I know, you know, it's hard to really measure analytics sometimes compared to what's happening on the ice and what the roster says and all of that. Because last year, you know, the Blues, what did they end up with, nine 20-goal scorers? So I don't I don't care what the numbers say. Like if you have nine twenty goal goal scores on your roster, like you're doing something right. And so this year coming into the season, I thought they'd be competitive. I thought they would be a playoff team. I think they struggled with a lot of inconsistency at the start of the year. I think Bennington had some some issues to start the season, which didn't help them um, to say the very least. But you know, I, I mentioned this before, and it's not the same team that that won a cup, but it is a team that that showed well, I thought, against the Colorado Avalanche. And we forget that on Colorado's run to the cup final, I mean, they really had their way in in every other series with their opposition in the Western Conference, right? The Blues are really the only team to me that gave the Avs a real test on their way to the cup. Of course, Tampa played well despite missing Braden Point. Um, But outside of that, just Western Conference alone, I thought the Blues looked the best against the Avs. So that gave me, you know, positive um, vibes, if you will, uh, coming into this season for St. Louis. But right now I just think, you know, this league changes so quick. And I think the Blues really need to be careful about when they decide to fully make that turn, that transition of like, okay, you know what, it is time to really maybe retool this team. We have obviously got Jordan Cairo playing really well right now. They've got the contracts with Robert Thomas as well. Like at what point do you really have to say, all right, it is time to kind of pivot a little bit 
and and address address the roster some more. I don't know the answer, um, but I if it was me, I think I would probably be looking to move some pieces out at the deadline um, to try to start you know thinking about next year. That's just me though. I mean, that's where we've been for months as well, Jackie. That, that's that's the side that we've been on, and these last three games have made us question that a bit. It, it's where I still stand, though, and I, I think the guy that really comes to mind immediately when you're talking about the, the real decision point of are we retooling versus are we going to try to keep this thing together is really Ryan O'Reilly. He's the captain of the team. He's been a tremendous asset for the Blues since he came here uh, from Buffalo He's on the expiring deal, and there are questions of, do the Blues resign him? Do they trade him and then try to resign him in the offseason? What's the plan there? If you were in Doug Armstrong's shoes, Jackie, how do you view the future of Ryan O'Reilly here in St. Louis? If it was me, I would be trying to trade him and then re-sign him. That's what I would be trying to do, um, just because, again, I just think that you know, it's a, even if the if the Blues keep playing well, I just think it might be a little you know too little too late situation for the St. Louis Blues. And Ryan O'Reilly is a player that, despite having a down season this year, is still a player that has won a cup and can do a lot of things for for a contending roster. So I think you'd be able to get something for him. Why not try to do that? And you know, if he loves St. Louis, which it, you know by all accounts he does then you go back in the summer and try to bring him back and, and, and go at it again next year. I think the Barbashev situation is super interesting. I've heard there's upwards of like 10 teams that are very interested. So drive that price up, see how much you can get for him, and then use that to your advantage so that it is a retooling process and not a process where you know you don't do some of these things and then maybe you know the value isn't the same when you revisit it down the road. If you were to, to guesstimate here, Jackie, and understand we're not we're not holding you to your word here. We want you to have fun with it. Who, who out of those two, Barbashev and O'Reilly, do you feel like the best return for St. Louis would be? Ooh, that's a great question. I think I think honestly, Barbashev right right now, just because I I think there's so many teams that want him and could use him. So I feel like that's going to drive up his price. I still think there's a lot of interest in Ryan O'Reilly and he's certainly a valuable asset. Like if I'm if I'm a player looking to add some depth to my lineup and and think I can actually win a Stanley Cup, that's absolutely a player that I want on my roster and and in my dressing room. And I fully believe too that Ryan O'Reilly would be would be so amped to join a contender and try to win another cup that, you know, there could be a, a, a switch flipped there just by being in a new environment. So, um, but to answer your question, I'll say right now, Barbashev. I like that. Because I think there's of, a lot of people, there's a lot of front offices that want that guy. That's, that's kind of where my mindset has been, at least right now with all the rumors that are out there. So, so Jackie, back to big picture for the Blues. If they are able to acquire, let's say, a first-round pick for Ryan O'Reilly and a first- or a second-round pick for an Ivan Barbashev, do you feel like all of those assets could benefit this Blues team enough to turn them back into a contender next season? I do think that the Blues have enough pieces already that with some, I never know what words to use anymore because we just make up new ones every year, retool, (laughs) rebuild, repiece, like what is it? Who, Who knows? But I do think that there's enough pieces in place for the Blues right now that, you know, that the front office does have a real chance to, if they make the right moves and use their assets 
properly, which is easier said than done, that yeah, they can be, they can certainly be a playoff team next year. I have no doubt about that. The question is, you know, what are you going to get back? Are you going to be able to, to get things done? And what does that look like? What are your priorities? So we'll see. I don't know. It's complicated for the Blues. It is, and that brings us to the defense conversation, which is where it gets really complicated for the Blues because there have been some rumors, and Darren Drager mentioned this yesterday, that he said, hey, I'm hearing there are some conversations that are taking place with the Blues about maybe trading one of their defensemen, and the top Mm -hmm. four that they have are all under contract for multiple years. Nick Letty is the shortest of those deals with three more seasons after this year under contract. If you're the Blues, are, are you listening to conversations on Tory Krug, Colton Pareko, Nick Letty? Are those things that you're exploring as well? Get ready for something you've heard a million times in sports. I think if you're if you're a GM, I think you're listening to all callers because you just don't know what you might be offered for a certain player. If a team is if a team is is desperate enough to try to add some, some something to their back end for a playoff run then I think you have to listen, right? Because you, I just think sometimes when people are under pressure or they're desperate for something, they might, they might offer more than they need to to get a certain type of player. Um, but, yeah, I would be listening. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too crazy personally about, about trading a, a, a Tory Krug. That's just my opinion. I like Tory Krug a lot. Um, so I wouldn't want to get rid of him, but that's just me. Jackie, final one that I want to ask you about, and and you're engulfed in the hockey world being on NHL Network. You talk to these guys on a consistent basis. How much have you heard about Connor Bedard, and is he as much of a phenom as everybody is making him out to be? Because it sure seems like there's at least 10, 12, 15 teams that think, hey, we might have a realistic shot at drafting him. Let me tell you something. There's about to be a new Connor on the block, okay? This kid is so it's he's stupid good. Like he is so ridiculous. I can't even explain to you. I saw him live um, at the World Juniors in Halifax. Actually, um, my husband and I live in Nova Scotia um, during the off season. That's where we're from. Um, he is, as advertised, an unbelievably, insanely good hockey player. Like I think he's got like almost a hundred points in like fifty games in the W right now. Like he is, he is disgustingly good. I would, if I was a fan of a team that is in the basement right now, I would just be praying to the hockey gods constantly that I get this guy because wherever he goes, it will be Bedard mania. I do hope he goes to to a market that um, loves hockey and a market that um, can appreciate it. Um, but yeah, he is, he is the real effing deal if I'm allowed to say that Um, I have no doubt about it and I think this draft lottery show is going to be the most watched draft lottery in years he's he is legit maybe the blues should just start tanking try to get him (laughs) I was just gonna say Jackie I mean people in St. Louis love their hockey so you know if the hockey gods want to put the percentages a little bit more in their favor depending on how they finish That would be nice. If I could follow up, though, because you said you saw him in action at the World Juniors Live, how much did you see of uh, Blues prospect Jimmy Snuggerud? Because we've heard a lot of people say that he had himself one hell of a tournament also. 
I can, I can tell you this, that he put himself on the map for a lot of people that I don't think were paying attention to him prior. Um, just in talking to people, and I, and I mean talking to people that act, that pay attention to the World Juniors and cover prospects all year round, not just when we get closer to the draft. And I've heard I've heard a lot of really good things about him. So I think he's definitely. Um, I think that that was a good a good showcase for him. I personally not an expert on his game, but I do know that in talking to people that again, follow these prospects all year round, not just in the month leading up to the draft or, or after the draft or in training camps, um, that he's, he, he, he opened some eyes. Let's put it that way. You can watch Jackie Redman on NHL Now, which will include her featured segment, Feisty Friday. That's coming up at 3 o'clock later today before she heads down to Mexico for a nice trip uh, that she has certainly earned. Jackie, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy your vacation. We'll talk with you again soon. Hey, thank you so much for having me. You got it. That's Jackie Redman of NHL Network joining us here on 101 ESPN. You heard it there, folks. Connor Bedard, the real effing deal. If just throwing this out there, Alex, this is a completely random question, super hypothetical. Coming up at about 10 minutes or so, or five minutes or so, we'll get into Ask Us Anything, 314 399 9646. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, we can get into those here in just a minute. But. It, let's say the Blues end up selling at the deadline. They, they do what we're all expecting. Barbie's moved. He, he ends up, like she said, getting you more than any of us expected. They get a first-round pick for him. It's crazy. Wow. They got a first got for, for four Barbie. Four first-round picks in the well, draft? I haven't mentioned Ryan O'Reilly oh. yet. But, yes, they okay, you got cool. a first-round pick for O'Reilly assumed. as well. So you got a first for O'Reilly. You got a first for Vladdy. You got a first for Barbie. My and God. you have your own first-round pick. Man, you own the draft. If we assume that Bedard is as good as everybody says... You've got those four firsts. Would you trade all four plus Jordan Cairo for the right to draft Connor Bedard? Man. So peek behind the curtain. You asked me this in the in the break, and I said no. Because Because yesterday I said, would you trade player X straight up for Connor Bedard? Like Kale McCarr. Would the would the Avs trade Kale McCarr for the right to draft and, Connor And Bedard? I said I would do that because yeah. that's a young defenseman and you got an issue on the defense. That's a good thing to have. But I asked Joey that and Joey said the same thing. I'd trade it for anybody right now at that level in the NHL. Prior to the interview with Jackie, I would have said no way because Kairou's already established himself. Might score and, 40 goals this year. And I'm taking a chance on four first-round picks. One of those four got to turn into something. That's like when you have five kids and you hope one of them becomes the president. <laughs> you know you're going to hit the lottery on one of them. But after hearing her say that, I probably would. I probably would trade four first-round picks in Jordan Kairou for Connor Bedard because I, I, he might, and that's the problem, might be. But if he's the next Connor McDavid, you just, sol- you just solved your issue. Yeah. You just solved your issue on the forward side. And guess what? You just opened up $8 million to fill a void on the defensive side if you need to fix that. Coming up in 10 minutes, we're talking to Richard Deitch. He's one of the best media critics in the country. He writes about sports media for a living. He covered uh, for a long time up in New York uh, the years of Tim McCarver covering the Mets. So we're going to talk to Richard Deitch about the influence that Tim McCarver had on sports media. We'll do that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, ask us anything. 314-399-9646 here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 4399-9646 is the air comfort service X line for Ask Us Anything. In less than 10 minutes, we'll be joined by Richard Deitch, sports media writer for The Athletic. He had a column up earlier today on the life and the impact of Tim McCarver on sports media. We'll talk to him about McCarver's legacy coming up here in just a little bit. But let's get to Ask Us Anything. Very different than questions and answers, sports or otherwise. If you have a question, send them in now on the text line. Let's get with this, or let's start with this from the 314. Guys, when all is said and done, who do you believe will have a better career? Robert Thomas or Jordan Kyrou? I would say, boy, that's a tough one. I would say Kyrou because people value goals more than assists. I mean, you could look at Brett Hall and Adam Oates. Brett Hall had the better career. Adam Oates had some really good numbers. People always go to Brett Hall because of the goals. I, I Goals are sexier than assists in the National Hockey League. So I believe unless Robert Thomas becomes himself a goal scorer when he shoots the puck more, I would say it's Jordan Kyrou. I agree with you. My, I was going to go Kyrou because of his goal scoring capability. I think he'll draw more buzz from around the NHL because of that, because people like goals more than they like assists and points in just general. It's kind of like baseball where people like guys that hit home runs more than they like your every everyday kind of all-around baseball player like a Tommy Edmond. Do you know who has more points between Brett Hall and Adam Oates? Adam Oates. I would assume Oates, yeah. Yep. 1,400 points compared to 1,390 for Brett Hall. So pretty close. close. Yeah. But, I mean, they played, if I'm not mistaken, they both played. Oh, so Oates played over 100 more games than Brett Hall. So points per game, it was Hall. But, but he had 1,000 assists That's amazing. in his National Hockey League career. Uh, I would go Jordan Cairo as well. I, I've been steadfast on this, even during his struggles uh, earlier this season. I genuinely believe Jordan Kyrou is going to be considered one of the best goal scorers in the NHL when all is said and done. I, he, he's he's special, man. He's got a chance to score 40 goals this year. He, I think, at some point will have a 100-point season. I think that's happening sooner rather than later. Jordan Kyrou is a very good player. He's got his deficiencies, don't get me wrong, but I think Kyrou is going to be remembered as the better player. I believe that's why three years from now, four years from now, when that salary cap goes up and players are getting paid $12, $13 million, you're going to look at Kyrou and Thomas and say that's a steal. All right, a couple more quickies from the 314. Tanner, why are you so reluctant to admit that you drink seltzers? Because I don't drink seltzers. Next question. Uh, I only drink good drinks. Guys, do you review the questions that you're going to ask your guests before they come on the air? And do you pay your guests to join the show, like Jackie, for example? We do pay some guests, uh, more so on the morning and afternoon show, if you want us to be honest. Um, Middays, man. We we do have some that have a relationship with us, though. And as for asking questions and do we, like, preview them before? Sometimes we, we'll ask each other, like, hey, what do you want to make sure that we get from whoever the next guest is? So we'll go over some of those. But a lot of the time, it just depends on what the guest gives us. And we'll ask some follow-ups on that. It's 
about listening and following yeah. up on whatever they have to say. So that's kind of the way that we handle it. I always tell people in interviews that the best way for you to do an interview is to not prep your questions and to sit there and listen because a lot of the time somebody's going to give you an answer you want to follow up with rather than have a list of questions you want to ask and forget. Speaking of questions that we've got for guests, Richard Deitch, I've got a lot of questions for him about the life and the legacy of Tim McCarver. He wrote a piece earlier today on The Athletic. It is titled, Remembering Tim McCarver, an unsung ESPN employee's goodbye uh, and all of the things that we will remember about McCarver as a baseball broadcaster. It is available now over on The Athletic. We're going to ask him about what he's going to remember more, most about Tim McCarver when he joins us next year on 101 ESPN. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. legend this is a guy who's enshrined in cooperstown in the broadcast wing as a past winner of the ford frick award and you can tell me better guys but it seems to me it's fair to say that tim changed the entire way baseball games are analyzed on television he was more critical more humorous more observant than almost anyone who's ever done the job that was Ken Rosenthal on MLB Network Radio yesterday talking about the life and legacy of Tim McCarver. That's what we're going to do with Richard Deitch. You can find his work over at The Athletic where he covers sports media. He is also the host of the excellent sports media podcast with Richard Deitch. If you're interested in sports media in any capacity, it is well worth your time. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Uh, Richard, we sincerely appreciate you joining us today to be able to remember uh, Tim McCarver's influence on the baseball broadcasting world. Uh, when you hear that from Ken Rosenthal and you think back on your experiences, whether it was listening to him on the broadcast or uh, what you've heard from others, what are you going to remember most about Tim McCarver, the baseball broadcaster? Uh, well, first, I appreciate uh, you guys having me on. Uh, it's twofold for me because I lived in New York and grew up in New York, so McCarver was on the Mets broadcast and he was a revelation just in terms of a baseball broadcast. Most of the time, at least from my youth that I remember, they were former players. It was kind of a certain style that almost every analyst would have. And generally speaking, the play-by-play person was the star of the show. McCarver was revolutionary in that he first guessed a lot of stuff, whether it was uh, like a play that was going to happen whether it was a certain type of pitch, he was really just sort of really good on sort of strategy happening before it happened, very much like Tony Romo in his first and second year in the NFL. And that was a revelation because nobody really had done that, at least from what I saw at the time. And then he took that nationally. And, you know, there are many occurrences in games that he did with Joe Buck on Fox where he was just so ahead of the play. Um, he really was a well-prepared and thoughtful individual and had just the rare 
skill set of being someone who played in majors for four decades at a position where you're really seeing everything on the field, the catching position, and then being able to translate that to broadcasting. It's not a surprise that many of the broadcasters, since Tim McCarver first entered the booth, are ex-catchers because they see the field, and I think McCarver set the template um, for those who, who followed him. And Richard, that's where I was going to go next because we see it now. I mean, it's a regular occurrence. You get a former athlete in the broadcast booth with the play-by-play man, but was there something special about Tim compared to what we see today about having an analyst like that in the broadcast booth? Well, I mean, it's you know, it's just it's like it's like athletics. It's hard to compare eras. Like you know, Howard Cosell today would not play. Like it's just like it, we live in a different world. That was a three television universe world. We're now in a cable world. The world's more polarizing. So it's, it's hard to compare the two. I think where McCarver, where you can sort of draw the line from McCarver to today is that he really took an analytical approach to sports broadcasting. And we see that far more today, whether it's John Smoltz in baseball. I think Greg Olson um, is, is fairly analytical when it comes to being an analyst. You know, McCarver was a, for McCarver, it was less about folksy storytelling and I think more about the strategies of the game itself. And that, to me, is where he changed things. I mean, it's a little before my time. But, you know, Joe Garagiola was a very, very famous analyst for Major League Baseball. And his reputation was like sort of, you know, he was a catcher too, but very much more folksy and storytelling and stuff like that. And then I think McCarver becomes the next sort of iteration of that where it's more analytics, and probably Smoltz, whether you like him or not, is probably the next iteration of McCarver, where Smoltz is really, really analytical and gets deep into the game on that, and obviously more of a modern feel for the game than McCarver did just because he played a couple of years after McCarver. So, you know, the baseball broadcast, at least on a national level, owes a lot to Tim McCarver. He, he, he sort of changed how things were, and, um, and again, at the time, especially when he just came – into the booth, especially in New York. He was just, he was a very revolutionary voice. Richard, I don't know what this was like in New York. I, I didn't get an up close um, look at that the way that you did, but I, I know for Joe Buck, he, he's talked recently and in the past as well about the influence that Tim McCarver had on him. And I, I used to do a show with uh, Danny Mack here in St. Louis. And so I, I got to know uh, kind of the ins and outs of their relationship between Dan McLaughlin and Tim McCarver. And Dan considered Tim to be one of his best friends. And he, he learned a ton from him about broadcasting as well. When you look at the influence that Tim's had on the play-by-play men that he's worked with, uh, what comes to mind for you on that influence? Well, the simple thing that comes to mind is something Joe Buck told me 10 years ago and then repeated it this week, and that Tim McCarver taught him more about broadcasting than his dad did. And so what does that tell you? Jack Buck, obviously one of the great broadcasters of all time, was Joe's dad. But yet, if you ask Joe, who taught him more about baseball broadcasting, he would say Tim over his father. Um and that's the thing with McCarver is I think you talk to um, whoever, whatever play-by-play people worked with him, they, they just they say he was a very generous analyst. Um, he was willing to sort of share his knowledge when it came to what he knew with broadcasters. And on a pure like technical level, McCarver talked a lot. For some people, obviously, that he talked too much. For others, uh, maybe the right amount. But in terms of being a play-by-play person, what he then gives you is he really helps you out 
just in terms of the length of a broadcast, because the one difference between baseball um, at a major level and almost all these other sports is there's no time, you know, there's no clock. Like the game is either going two and a half hours, three hours, or, you know, 15 hours. Like the, that's where a guy like McCarver could be invaluable in that he really has a lot to say. And you as the play-by-play person do not have to, um, you know, you don't, ha- you don't have to necessarily carry that broadcast. So, you know, Joe Buck, um, he's done a lot of interviews, obviously, in the last 48 hours. And um, he's had some pretty extraordinary things to say about Tim McCarver. You hear all of the stories over the last 24 hours, Richard, of Tim McCarver and his broadcast career. And the one that stuck out to me was, I, I, I forgot who was talking about it, but they were discussing when he was on a Braves call and was talking about Deion Sanders and talking about how he played in the Falcons game earlier that day and then the Braves game. And afterwards, you know, Dion pours a bucket of water on him in the locker room. But that's what I feel like people loved so much about Tim McCarver was he was honest and he didn't care what he said about who he said because he was honest about it and it was his assessment. Yeah, I mean the reality is there's a lot of former players who I just be blunt, they're sort of they kiss the ass basically of those who they're <laughs> interviewing. And so not not everybody, but but there are a lot. And in today's world, there's a lot of job security in that. There's also, by the way, to be very honest, there's people at home who don't want any tough questions or anything like that. They they they, they want that kind of stuff. The thing with McCarver and with Dion is he just, he was, he was unafraid to sort of ask something um, that he believed that the the people watching at home wanted, even if the subject at hand um, wasn't happy about it. You know, that was a while ago. I'd have to sort of see the clip again, but um, you know, there was clearly some, maybe McCarver had said something about Dion that Dion didn't like, but you know, that obviously, when when you're involved like somebody pouring water on you, that's just going to a nonsense place. Um, so it's a you know it's a famous clip. It's out there, but the larger point is that McCarver was not somebody who was a over the top PR apparatus when he was in the interviewing position, which he wasn't in a lot, but he obviously was in that situation with Deion Sanders. And again, I think that speaks to at least from my perspective that. You know, he he respected the position that he was in, and he wasn't necessarily like a shill for Major League Baseball or a shill for whatever person he was talking to. He was at least in some way trying to represent the viewer, and as a general rule, those are always the broadcasters I respect the most. Richard Deitch is our guest for just another minute or two here on 101 ESPN. He covers sports media for The Athletic. You can also follow him on Twitter at his name, Richard Deitch, D-E-I-T-S-C-H. Richard, on on the baseball broadcasting uh, side of things, uh, non-McCarver edition, I I, I would be curious – in St. Louis, one of the big topics right now is the Bally Sports situation and what the future holds for those broadcasts with Major League Baseball. I, I don't know what you have on this subject specifically, but when you look at what the future of baseball broadcasting looks like at the local level, what do you foresee, both in the, the immediacy and kind of the long-term future of what that ends up becoming? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a, there are certainly other people in the space who've done a far more reporting sure. on this than I have. So that's the caveat on that. But it's a mess, like just as a general sort of overview kind of take. Um, and it, it's going to take a lot of untangling over many, many years for this to work out. The problem for all this is that depending on the team, they all have different lengths of contracts. Like, I don't know what the St. Louis contract is, but like, 
you know, the sooner those contracts are up with the RSNs, well, then we'll just take baseball, for example. Major League Baseball then can designate as to what they want to do with the Cardinals' local rights. The problem is a lot of these local rights deals extend far. I know the Yankees have a long-term deal, even though they own the Yes Network. So I think in the near term, regarding, um, you know, Diamond's expected bankruptcy, MLB says that they're going to be able to provide local viewers with access somehow to the games. Just again, off, off sort of the top for me, I feel like there's always a streaming apparatus where MLB can put that on, but you know, you really do then alienate a ton of fans who still are not on streaming or maybe older fans who still have a cable sub- subscription. Um, so in short, the only thing I can tell you is like, it is going to be a rocky road in the near term until all these contracts around the country eventually, eventually play out. But the, the RSN system as a whole is a mess, and it's, uh, it's, it's anachronistic. And where the future is ultimately is people paying directly for streaming services where they can, they can get their games direct to them. There won't be blackouts, but honestly, it'll probably cost you a lot of money. Yeah, Richard, if you could see our text line whenever the Cardinals play on <laughs> Apple TV like Oof. twice throughout the course of the regular yeah. season. Is- can, I, can I just – yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt because you just had one thing, and this is sure. important. Like, I, I like baseball, and I, you know, I grew up in New York, obviously, like you guys, a very big baseball city. But I will say there's no major sport that has cared less about its fans when it comes to getting the sport to them than Major League Baseball. And the Apple 100%. deal is a perfect – the Apple deal is a perfect example – they have opted to take the sport and to sort of chop it up, right, in so many different outlets, particularly when it comes to the postseason. And that's all about getting revenues into the coffers so owners can get wealthier. They absolutely have not cared about you as a viewer in terms of you getting the product. So, like, to me, that's fine. Just, like, acknowledge that's what you are. The only thing I would ask, just as a, feel like a decent human being in the United States, is don't tell me it's sunny when it's snowing. Like, I feel like that's like that's a fair standard for me to have. And so MLB is not fan friendly. MLB is financially friendly to MLB. And so I feel for the Cardinals fans because um, you are very, you're dealing with the same stuff in a lot of different markets where they have made it very hard for you to be a baseball fan. Yeah, I mean, imagine being, it's not something that's like any groundbreaking news, but if you're a fan of baseball in Iowa, there's like seven different teams that you can't stream because of the blackout rules. And it's, it's something that they've tried to like cover their ass on for years. And now finally, after like a decade or more of people saying, Hey, this is a problem for major league baseball. Finally, Rob Manfred and some of the owners are acknowledging, Oh yeah, we should probably do something about that. Yeah, no, I mean, again, the NFL has a lot of issues, don't get me wrong, but the the one thing that they figured out, obviously with the help of Congress, is to make the game as accessible to as many people as possible. Um, and MLB has has sort of honestly done the opposite. It probably hasn't cost them yet because people still love to go to the park because the experience is great. But, yeah, I mean, like, it, it, in 2023, honestly, it's outrageous if you are a fan of a team that you can't get easy access to a team, <laughs> given, the, given the technology that exists in the world today. Richard, it's awesome to be able to catch up with you, man. You probably don't even remember this, but I was a college student at the University of Missouri back in like 2012 as a sophomore, and you came on our local station that broadcasted probably to all of five people. I always uh, appreciate that about you. You're more than uh, generous with your time. So thanks for hopping on with us today, and we wish you all the best, man. 
I think that's a clear example of I work cheap and have not done a good job of monetizing my uh, finances, but you're welcome for that. Yeah, you, you and baseball are the antithesis of each other in that <laughs> regard. Appreciate there you, man. You Thanks for hopping out with us today. So, yes, take care. You got it. That's Richard Deitch, sports media writer for The Athletic. Appreciate him hopping on with us to be able to remember the life of uh, Tim McCarver and the influence that he had on the broadcast industry. Alex, it's interesting. Um, he mentioned how he, he believes that Tim McCarver is a, an analytical mind. That, that's kind of what he brought to the national booth. It, the, the thing that I loved about McCarver, and he was uniquely qualified for this, on the national level, he was the guy that was first guessing things. And he did that at the local level as well. Don't get me wrong. But I think here in St. Louis, you tell me if you disagree with this. I think in St. Louis, when he became a local broadcaster for the Cardinals, I remember him more for his stories here in St. Louis than I do for the first guessing. He still did that. Don't get me wrong. But the personality and the stories are what I'm going to remember about him locally, more so even than the first guessing, the analytical side of things, which is probably what most people will remember about him on the national level. National level, absolutely. Here in St. Louis, you nailed it. It's going to be the stories, especially the stories of catching for Bob Gibson and uh, playing on that 1967 team and playing with Mike Shannon. And I still, Klaibs tweeted out a picture uh, yesterday um, and, and I remember this because I was standing next to him. It was Bob Euchre, Tim McCarver, and Mike Shannon in the Cardinals clubhouse, and they were carrying the tuba of that famous yeah. picture of Bob Euchre catching fly balls with the tuba. So, like, I will remember that. But I do remember on the local side of him with the analysis, not so much predicting plays, but being blunt about plays. Yeah. Because I, I'll always remember him talking about Jack Flaherty, uh, and I think it was that 2019 season of him talking about his pitches and not wasting pitches. And he was so blunt about it. And it's like, man, I love that. I, 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 I love what Richard said there where you got guys who, for lack of a better word, you know, they kind of beat around the bush for things like that. Tim McCarver never did that. If it was something that was stupid to Tim McCarver, Tim was straightforward and said, that's dumb. I mean, we and played I it yesterday, that. the no-hitter thing. I loved it. He's like, hey, it's stupid that you think there's a, a broadcaster jinx on no-hitter, so I'm not only going to mention that there's a no-hitter, <laughs> I'm going to continue doing so just to get under your skin because I know you don't like the fact that I am doing you this. You know what? So he, he was great with Tim that. Tim and I... We identify together very well in some aspects of life because sometimes you just don't care. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, if the Blues are to get creative at the trade deadline, it is likely to include one of their defensemen. I don't know how likely it is that they get creative, but if they do, probably includes one of those players. We'll let you hear what a national analyst had to say about that coming up in 15 minutes. But next... Did we underestimate just how bad the vibes were when Vladimir Tarasenko was in the lineup for the Blues? Discuss it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is a team with an aura about them that there's just nothing to lose at this point. It's always easy to fall into a hole and play a good brand of hockey because you're desperate and you're playing this like we have nothing to lose style of hockey. And I think that's what we're seeing now with this Blues group. They've just ripped off three in a row. And this is a team with the aura of just a very calm presence, a very good feeling group. 
they're feeling um, free of anything outside of their control in, in their world right now. And and I think it's you're starting to see it now on the ice. There's some good vibes going on with the Blues right now, and that's what happens when you win three in a row coming out of the break. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was Joey Vitale on the postgame show last night. Alex, he's not the only one. That's saying that there's some good feelings around this team. You listen to literally anybody talk last night postgame. Colton Pareko, Braden Shin, Ryan O'Reilly, Craig Berube, everybody. They all said Mike Van Ryan with you guys. They all said the same thing. Basically, hey, we're playing as a five-man unit. Everybody's feeling pretty good right now. We've made a couple of tweaks, but really it's about everybody pushing in the same direction, direction and playing for one another. We think that we've got a run in us, and we're trying to show that right now. I don't know if they do or don't have a run in them. And frankly, that doesn't really matter. That's not what I want to talk about right now. I have heard now for the last week from, I think, smart hockey people trading Vladimir Tarasenko. They don't necessarily say this up front, but, you know, without saying it, they say this. The Blues had addition by subtraction by trading Vladimir Tarasenko. I have pushed back. On that narrative, I have pushed back pretty hard against that narrative. There will come a point in time where I have to admit defeat on that. Because the Blues have been better this season when they have not had Vladimir Tarasenko on the ice than they have been with Vladimir Tarasenko on the ice. Alex, this is what Craig Berube had to say yesterday after the game about whether or not the trade is why, the specific reason why the Blues are playing better now. It could be a coincidence, but has that coincided with the trade last week? That- no clue. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I don't go and ask players or anybody. I don't really dive into all that stuff. It's not me. But whatever it is, since uh, we got back off the break, um, it's like um, our players have been energized, excited, ready to go, ready to make a push. Nobody wants to say it. They're just denying it. I, they're 12 and 6 without Vladimir Tarasenko in the lineup. And, and I'm, I'm looking through this right now because up until these last three games, the Blues' goal differential without Vladdy in the lineup was plus 13. So in the last three games, you're talking about plus 7. They're plus 20 in goal differential without Vladimir Tarasenko. You know what they are this season overall? They're minus 22. Um, one player does not change that but what one player does who plays a significant amount of ice time mind you he plays on average when he was with the blues this season around 18 and a half minutes which means he's on the ice in every scenario you're talking power plays you're talking late in games mind you the reason that the inflated plus minus for individual numbers this season a lot of that is because the amount of empty net goals that they have allowed I think it was a plus third or a minus 13 in those empty net goal situations. So go player by player, the guys who were out there, O'Reilly, Shen, Kairou, Thomas, uh, Tori Krug, Colton Pareko. Like, you're putting these guys out there, that's where you're talking about. One player doesn't make that significant of a difference. But what one player does who isn't committed to what the Blues are trying to accomplish, if they're on the ice in big-time situations, in terms of back-checking, in terms of making the correct play out of your own zone, in terms of chasing after the puck and being aggressive and making sure that that third forward is staying high, all of that can be correlated to a guy who was on the ice a lot because if one person is out of place with five guys on the ice, 
that's going to benefit the other team. So I think a lot of people are, are afraid to sit here and say Vladimir Tarasenko was the problem. Off ice, I have no idea because I'm not with those guys away from the game. I believe it more off ice than I do on, on ice. I, I, <laughs> that's maybe. the thing that's funny. <laughs> I believe it more on ice because one if one person is not playing into the system, the whole system's going to fall apart. And part of me wonders, now that we're seeing this on a consistent basis, if that's what's taking place for the Blues. Yeah, I... Sometimes I think it's okay to say, I don't know. And in this scenario, I used to be no, no, no. Now I have like softened my stance on it where I say, I don't know. Maybe Vladdy was a problem. And if he was a problem within that locker room this season, it it does make me wonder, like, was that foreseeable? Should they have traded him last offseason when... At the time, he made it known once again, hey, I, I still have my trade demand. It, it is out there, and I, I still want I, – I am not resigning with this team. I'm going to be a free agent at the end of the season, and I, I want to be dealt. Was that something that we underestimated in terms of how significant it was going to play into his on-ice and off-ice role this season? Alex, this is something that Elliot Friedman wrote in his 32 Thoughts column. He was talking to an executive about Vladimir Tarasenko, and that, that executive told him this, quote, he has smiled more in New York than he did all season in St. Louis. He continued, uh, Elliot Friedman did, in writing, that was the worry about the talented winger, that he was so unhappy that it did affect his play in St. Louis. The Rangers are so energized by his arrival that it reminds you how a trade can elevate your team. Your players know ownership and management believe in them. It's like emotion on steroids. During the 2019 Stanley Cup run, Tarasenko played through painful injuries and had moments where he was an absolute bull on the ice. He's happy and he's playing for a contract. The Rangers are the team that's going to benefit. I think the inverse of that statement can also potentially be true. He was so unhappy. He was so frustrated by how badly things had gone this season that he was playing for a losing team and that it just, he wanted out. And sometimes, I mean, we've all worked with somebody that's unhappy. And when they come into work every day unhappy, it can wear on you, dude, especially when you work with that person in a significant capacity like blues players would with Vladimir Tarasenko, where they're like, man, this guy's not covering his area the way that he's supposed to. He's going into the locker room after the games and he's pouting. He's complaining about his role. He wants to be more involved. And then we get him more involved. And, and this is all speculation by me, but we get him more involved and it doesn't go the way that he wants. And then he continues to pout. Like I could totally see how that would wear on players inside of that locker room. When that's gone, you're like <sighs> a collective sigh of relief of just, all right, now we can just go play the way that we've wanted to. And so if that is what's happening here, if that's why they're playing the way that they are, dude, good on them. Good on them for being able to take advantage of being able to show maybe it's Doug Armstrong, maybe it's all of us as fans. Hey, this team can still play. We just it, it wasn't hap- it wasn't happening for us with Vladimir Tarasenko, and now that he's gone, we're playing a better brand of hockey. And, and that's why I, I would push back and say it's not just him. Like you don't just take Vladimir Tarasenko off the ice and ah, oh, boom, Stanley Cup contender. There are a lot of factors that come into it. If Vladimir Tarasenko would have been traded, let's go back and say the beginning of December. I don't think the outcome of the rest of the month was any different because the team was playing poorly. I, I believe Vladimir Tarasenko being traded correlates with the fact that the Blues had a week and a half off 
where they could reset their minds and say, we're a better team than this. Craig Berube even admitted it so much yesterday post-game when he said, you know, us as a coaching staff realized we needed to do some things different and look at some things different, and that's where this forecheck has come into play here. Also, let's not forget Ryan O'Reilly returns to the lineup. And putting your captain back in the lineup, who plays significant ice time, wins face-offs, and let's also not overlook the fact that he's been a part of goals in the last two, three games, that plays into this. So it's not just Vladimir Tarasenko being traded away. You can look at it and say, oh, the Blues are 3-0 and since Vladdy was traded. Yeah, but I can also say the Blues were 3-0 and after 11 days off. And I can also say the Blues have been 3-0 and since Ryan O'Reilly and Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich returned to the lineup. They all go together. And again, I'm not on that roster. I'm not on the road with them. I'm not there in practices in film. But off ice, maybe there were more problems than we are led on to believe. On ice, if one player's not in the right spot, it's going to take Vladimir Tarasenko playing with Jordan Cairo. You don't think a young Jordan Cairo's trying to focus on the fact that I got to get the puck over to Vladimir Tarasenko because he wants the puck in this spot. Now you don't do that. Now Jordan Cairo is Vladimir Tarasenko. Those things are the trickle-down effects that when people say, yeah, it has nothing to do with that. Man, you're, not, you're not right there, but you're also not wrong. It's not solely Vladimir Tarasenko. From the 618. Guys, pump the brakes. It's 3-0. and We've gone up against either bad teams or teams that are playing a backup goalie. Oh, yeah, Florida and the New Blues Jersey. have Backup goalie. The Blues have done this multiple times. We've seen the ups and downs. Pump the brakes. This is a three-game sample size. Relax. Can, can I just so, say this real quick, though? Why are we acting like Mackenzie Blackwood is a bad goaltender? He's a, I mean, yeah, he's their backup goaltender, but he's played well for them this season. Because he's the backup. I mean, I think it's Thomas Grice is the backup, and the dude has stolen games for the Blues this sure. season. He's he's had a save percentage this year below five or below nine hundred. He, he he's fine. He's fine. He's a perfectly fine backup goalie. Seven five and two on the season. I I do think it's worth noting that it was a backup goalie. I would also add this: it's three and zero, and it might not sustain. But the reason why I think it's worth bringing up is because it also could sustain. This could be real. And if it is, we need to be talking about it because there's, what, seven games left prior to the trade deadline? So we need to find out in the next seven games if this is if this was the problem or not. And so we'll, we'll find out more on that as we continue. You mentioned Ryan O'Reilly's return to the lineup. I want to talk about that on the other side because I think he is now going to be coming into the focus. What do you need to see? in this next stretch of games to determine whether or not O'Reilly's resigned, whether he's definitely traded, and how does Barbashev play into all of this as well? We'll get into that coming up on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live at the EDB Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center where the Blues are hosting morning skate right now. Alex Elliott Friedman hosted his 32 Thoughts podcast earlier today. He had some thoughts. Makes sense of him. He's probably had 32 of them. On Ryan O'Reilly and what his future holds here in St. Louis. This is going to be one of the big conversations that we have over the next three weeks as we continue to have it. Here's what Elliot Friedman had to say on what the biggest holdup is between the Blues and Ryan O'Reilly right now. You know, the whole thing with O'Reilly is 
I just don't think they want to offer him term. And unless O'Reilly's willing to take like a Bozak kind of deal, three times five or three times six or whatever, I don't know how that works. So that is what Jamie Rivers mentioned yesterday. He was talking about the O'Reilly deal and he said, hey, three years, five million per. That might be the type of deal that gets this thing done. Would you be willing to do it? And I can't remember who he asked it to, but he, they asked it to a guest. It might have been uh, Curbs. I, I can't remember. But, Alex, this is going to be something that is worth monitoring. It's been reported by multiple different people that O'Reilly's agent is going to be in St. Louis next week. How much does the next three weeks of the Blues on-ice performance play into what you decide to do with O'Reilly and whether or not you're bringing him back? I don't think the much the next three weeks have much to do with it because Doug, I believe, already has a price and what will make it work, and that's not going anywhere. Like Greg Wyshynski had a, a report uh, yesterday saying that from his understanding, the O'Reilly side is coming in, but they believe that Doug is going to basically tell them, sign this deal or you're traded on March 3rd. Now, take that for what it is, just a report from Greg Wyshynski. But that does seem to be a Doug Armstrong move where he understands the cap. He knows where his team is at. He knows that this team needs to be tweaked a little bit. And he knows where his team's at in the standings. And he's going to look at O'Reilly and say, this is the deal. Sign it or you're gone. And he's going to put it in O'Reilly's court. And that's why I don't believe the next three weeks or whatever it is to go up to March 3rd have anything to do with Ryan O'Reilly. Because if Doug is willing to gain assets or is Doug if Doug is able to gain assets for O'Reilly he's gonna move them because he's a pending UFA maybe there's a handshake agreement that says we want you back but we need to get these assets for this team but this team could go on a undefeated streak between now and March 3rd and if a team is willing to pay the price that Doug Armstrong wants for O'Reilly I personally believe that they will ship him out because they need those assets to address their needs in the offseason so here's if I were to have a retort to that, my 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 retort would be this. What if you look at what they do over the next seven games and you say to yourself, this is even less of a retool than we thought. And we think that Braden Shin is actually really valuable for us as a, as a winger with Thomas and Kairou. That's a line that works. Brandon Saad, whenever he gets back, maybe, maybe he becomes a third-line winger for you. And you look at the way that your forward groups are constructed and you say to yourself, man, I... I think we could actually just kind of run this back next year. And Ryan O'Reilly becomes that second line center. We keep Achari internal. He, he's going to get us like a third, fourth round pick on the uh, market. We, we think it's more valuable to keep him. And they say the one guy that we're going to move because of the market, as we talked about earlier today with Jackie Redman, the one guy that definitely needs to be moved is Barbashev because of how much we're able to get in return for him. And the, uh, it's incredibly unlikely that they're going to be able to re-sign him for the money he's likely to command on the market. Maybe they do say, you know what, three years, five mil or four years, four mil per year. That's worth it to keep Ryan O'Reilly here I don't know that that's the one thing that I'm wondering about right now is how they view O'Reilly over the next three weeks and how he fits into this version of the St. Louis blues for what it's worth. Frank Saravalli just dropped a piece on daily face off where he's doing some comparable returns for Ryan O'Reilly. He's mm -hmm. been doing these for a lot of the uh, 
potential trade candidates come March 3rd, and he does some comparable returns. He talks about Jeff Carter, who was traded for a third-round draft pick, two third-round draft picks. Talked about uh, Ricard Raquel that was traded last year. He got a second-round draft pick and a couple of players. The one that it comes to is the one that I brought up, and it was the Claude Giroux trade. That's the comp. There were more pieces involved with that Claude Giroux trade. There were a couple of other players that went to Philadelphia, a couple of guys in the minors and a fifth-round pick, but the the Flyers got in return a first-round draft pick and Owen Tippett. Now, mind you, that was a 2024 first-round draft pick. It was not 2023 first-round draft pick, but they also got a really good prospect who's playing in their top six, and that's what Frank Saravalli said. Looking at what the Blues received for Tarasenko, you can almost take it to the bank that this is the similar to the initial ask by Blues GM Doug Armstrong. But he also put in his summary, the compete level is admirable, but his pace has fallen off to the point where he doesn't consistently get to the areas on the ice he used to own. So I, I bring both of those up because you ask yourself the question, is Ryan O'Reilly more of a benefit to your team if you trade him and get a second-round draft pick? Let's say first, because I think you're likely to get a first. Maybe, but maybe teams view the way like Frank Saravalli's viewing that. I'd be pretty surprised, but okay. Or is he more valuable to you if you can get him on a 4 by 4 Because 3 by 5 that might be too expensive if you're Doug Armstrong because you got to figure out how to work this cap in $5 million dollars Remind you, you do have two guys who are making $8 million next season. Which one is more valuable? If, if, the, if the low end of the spectrum means I'm getting a second-round pick, or maybe it's a first-round pick and that's it, or I'm getting a guy who's going to be here for four more years, could be that second-line center like you painted the picture. Yep. I think I would lean more towards the $4 million per year for a guy like that who might be slow, who might be in a bad spot for you, but if I'm reshaping my roster on the defensive side, my forwards are going to stay intact. But it really comes down to what the ask is, and that's why I don't believe anything has to do between now and March 3rd, the trade deadline, to change Doug's mind. Doug knows what contract Ryan O'Reilly would have to sign to stay here, and Doug also is going to say, we want to see what we can get on the market for you. Maybe it's a handshake agreement come next season. Maybe it's a, hey, if we don't get what we want, let's sign this extension. But Doug is looking big picture rather than just the next couple of years with this team, and this is a spot that the Blues have not been in for a long time to have assets that you can trade to gain assets to make your team better next season. We've talked to five or six different people in the last couple of weeks, PK, that have said, this Blues team's not far off. It's a tweak in the offseason, and you're back to being a contender in the Western Conference. I think there's two things that come into mind for me that have uh, altered a bit my my view on this. It is, one, oh, I, I think Barbie's going to get you more than what I expected. I, I think there's a real chance Barbashev brings back a first-round pick. And if not, I think he br- could bring back a second-plus more. Maybe a second, a a significant prospect in return. Agreed. And if you're able to get that and you've already got two first-round picks, man, how many picks do you need? In all seriousness, how how many picks do you need before you say to yourself, you know what, It's, it's better for us to bring back some of these guys. Not all of them, but some of them. So that's part of it. The other thing is, if there is real interest in your defenseman, And this is, again, something that I didn't expect. I didn't think that you were going to be able to get a tangible asset for one of those top four defensemen. But it sure sounds like there's value out there among other teams in your defense, whether at the deadline or in the offseason. If you can move those uh, those guys off of your team without having to add capital, without having to attach them to a pick, and you get like a fourth or a fifth round pick in return, again, that is something that I did not foresee. And when you take all of that into account and you say to yourself, hey, would you like to have Ryan O'Reilly on a three-year deal worth $5 million? 
My answer might be yes. My answer might be yes. And so it, it, it comes back to, I, I think Barbashev is a big part of this conversation. I think the Pareko talk, the maybe Krug talk is a big part of this conversation. And all of that has me reassessing Maybe there is a maybe there is more value in having O'Reilly on that deal that is a shorter term than what we were expecting otherwise uh, than it would be to get that first or second round pick in return. If it's a second round pick that you're getting back for him, that oh, really weighs heavily on me saying, you know what, Keep shorter em. term than you expected. Would you like to pay four million instead of five? Sure. But you had Tyler Bozak at, what was it, $5 million bucks per year? Yeah, he was playing the fourth line for you. I'd you, take Ryan O'Reilly on the fourth year of a contract playing on my fourth line for $4 million. You can figure that out if you're able to move one of – if you think you can move one of those defensemen in the offseason, you can make this work cap-wise. So all of that goes into it, and somebody on the text line says you can never have too many picks. Totally agree. That's fair. But the picks are likely to help you three to four years from now. Or if you're flipping right. some of them, maybe you're able to get a player for one of them right now. You don't need four first-round picks, really. If you don't have to attach one of them to one of your players, if you can keep Ryan O'Reilly and have three first round picks, man, you're in a pretty damn good spot, not just for the here and now, but also to build your future. I'm starting to wonder if maybe it makes more sense to keep O'Reilly than I was previously expecting. Coming up in about 15 minutes, if the Blues do get creative, it likely includes a defenseman. We'll let you hear what Darren Drager had to say about that earlier today. But next, the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about five minutes or so, if the Blues are getting creative, it's probably going to be with one of their defensemen. We'll let you hear what Darren Drager had to say about that possibility coming up here in just a bit. But let's dive into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? Guys, I read an article last night that kind of put life in perspective for me and uh, reminded me how scary space can be. Uh, did you guys see in Texas, a meteorite landed just outside of a town and uh, created a loud explosion? Uh, talk about uncomfortable because reading this article, this meteorite is two feet in diameter and weighs about a thousand pounds that crashed into planet Earth. Good oh my God. God. Did it take a cow out? That's the first question I have. Because it doesn't if so, say if, if it took so, a cow out. This is the start of the movie Men in Black. So I've been thinking a lot about our own mort- mortality lately, Alex. Uh, that's, um, that's dark. There's some UFO stuff going on up in the Great Lakes areas. Oh, yeah, those are real. There's this meteorite down in Texas. There's all of the artificial intelligence. I was listening to a podcast the other day on uh, predictions for 2023, and one of the big predictions is that AI becomes the next big thing. Like, we had the whole uh, social media and, like, Google, Apple, uh, um, those companies technology-wise over the – from 2000 basically up until 2020, like, those were the big companies, right? They were all switching up employees and everything. And then things kind of got a little bit stale, and there's not really a next – thing for Facebook. There's not a next thing for Twitter necessarily. Social media has probably like maxed out its capacities as as currently it stands. The next big thing is AI. And yeah. I don't know how much you guys have looked into this stuff, but there's like this 
what is it, GTP chat, which is like coming up with in a nanosecond a response to any questions that you may have for it. Like I could ask, where will Alex Ferrario be in his life five years from now, right? And it can come up with a, an answer to that. Like weird stuff. Like why was Jack, why is Jack Flaherty going to be the Cardinals Cy Young candidate? It can answer that question. It's nuts. And it's not just that. Like there's a lot of AI that is coming up with development that is way above my head. And it's, it's, it's exceeding at such a rate that we don't know really where it's going. I've seen the movie iRobot. It didn't end well for them, Alex. We've seen um, a, a, these movies like, you know, Wally, -E, where they have taken, taken our current planet and ruined it to a place where we got to go up into outer space. Again, didn't end well for, for the humans in that movie either. I don't know what's coming next, but I'm a little afraid. Of what a this little next afraid. AI I'm era you, looks like. Did you watch iRobot? In our world. And I don't think I've got the strength of Will Smith to make it through that movie. So I'm out. If this happens, it's bunker shelter time. I'm this taking a like, shovel, I'm digging in my backyard, and I'm building a shelter underground. Is this going to be like iRobot or Terminator? Both. Oh. Dude, it's, it's well, not good. Like, I don't know how much you guys have seen about the... Oh, this, it is. The it, AI that is being... And their faces. Their faces being so realistic. I'm dude, just... I'm done with it. So, I don't need robots with emotions. Did you ever see the uh, Black Mirror? Is that what it's called? The, the oh, yeah, show? Netflix? Yeah. So they did an episode, and it's messed up, dude. All of these episodes get into my head, and it it's terrifying. They had the one on the social media where they've got, like, through the eyes, you can see everybody's, like, scores and stuff, and it, like, completely takes over your life. That... That feels more real than I wanted it to. Um, and then there's there's the other one where the leader of, like, Great Britain ends up, they, they completely make up this video of him doing some unspeakable things with, like, a pig or something. Oh, It's a completely made-up video, but it looks so real that he has to, like, answer for it, right? And he gets, like, kicked out of office and all these different things. Well, one of the things that's happening right now with AI or one of the developments is that one of the concerns is that they're going to be able to, like, retranspose these videos so it looks like somebody is saying something that might not have actually been said. So like somebody could come up with a video from something that we post online, Alex, and it could make it look like we're saying something that is horrific. And it may be a completely made up video, but it looks real. And so there's no real way for us to like strike back and say, no, that's not real. It's it's scary the yeah, way that things I'm, are going, um, man. I'm I'm out on all of these things. Um, if UFOs are real, I'd like an alien to abduct me before AI takes over. Because I'll take my chances oh. that over robots taking over the world. I think I'm with you on that decision. That that seems smart. So this has been my. Uh... So you you feel like you've been bottling this in for a while, BK? Yeah. Dude, you I... seem. You seem a little because I brought up a meteorite, and all of a sudden a we're talking and, a lot about and, AI. And, and listening Weird to some flex. some podcasts about I've been reading a lot too, man, about AI, and it's, it's I have been concerning. Go ahead. I've been reading a lot of potty books. The, the problem is, like, dude, we we don't have any restrictions right now because we don't know, like, we don't know what restrictions we need this, because the, the the technology is not. And the other problem, again, I've been doing a lot a lot of research on this. The other problem is, like, if the United States were to put restrictions on, on our AI capabilities, but China or another country form... Oh, great. Not another air balloon. <laughs> if, if they don't, then, like, we get passed up with that in it. Oh, there's a lot. Let's talk about the blues. Oh, they're not they could use better. some AI out there. 
I don't know, man. They just need to play better. Would you rather have some AI on the defensive side? Allen Iverson? He wasn't exactly yeah, he, known yeah, for his defense. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> Coming up next. Like some robots out there. If the Blues are getting creative, it probably includes moving one of their defensemen. That's according to one of the national analysts that I trust. We'll let you hear what he had to say next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We know that there's action around Ryan O'Reilly and Ivan Barbashev, but there is some consideration to moving a defenseman. It is possible. When you look at the list here, you're looking at a list of guys that all have long-term contracts. And we highlight Colton Pareko, not just because he's a right-shot D, but primarily because of the deal and also because he's drawing the most interest among those defense. It's a good group. Justin Falk, Tori Krug, Nick Gladdy, all of those men have no trade clauses. So it is a little bit complicated, but it's also very possible St. Louis moves the defense. That was Darren Drager on TSN the other night talking about the possibility that the Blues make a deal for one of their defensemen at the deadline this year. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters, including news today on what Eric Bieniemy's full uh, future may hold for him. But Alex, I think the defensive core is a really interesting proposition for Doug Armstrong because I think he has to make a deal here. It doesn't have to be at the trade deadline, but I think going into this offseason, before the start of next year, I think one of your current top four defensemen needs to be moved. And the reason why is twofold. One, I, I think that if you just look at the way that the salary cap is for the Blues, they would like to repurpose some of that money elsewhere. Two, I think you just have – this is a weird thing to say about this team, given the fact that they are, in terms of like the, the quality light on the defensive core, I think you have too many guys going into next year that you would like to see in your top six. You've got those top four that he just talked about with Pareko, Falk, Krug, and Letty. But you also have Bortuzzo. You also have Tyler Tucker. You also have Callie Rosen. You also have – and we haven't talked about him much because he's been on LTIR all year – you do have another season still with Marco Scandella. And he'll be playing before the end of the season. Scott Perunovic is an RFA after this season. The expectation should be that he's going to be a part of this going into next year. They might add somebody else in the offseason. Maybe you end up getting a Scott Mayfield or something like that, uh, where it's like a, a relatively cheap deal for a guy that can play either bottom pairing or top four minutes for you. This needs to be sorted through. You can do it at the deadline. You can do it in the offseason. But I do think one of those top four defensemen probably has to go. I'm with you uh, because you need to tweak it. You need to tweak what you've had over these last couple of seasons because the narrative around the Blues has been, well, they got the offense, but their defense is bad. And then, of course, some people that don't watch any Blues games like the narrative of Bennington's been bad. But you got to move on from one of them because, one, it opens up money, and, two, it opens up opportunity. And I know everyone wants to go to Colton Pareko because he's the whipping boy for so many Blues fans here. Here's the thing, and I've mentioned this before. You only have three right-handed defensemen on this roster that can play at the NHL level. Maybe Matthew Kessel's one of those guys. It doesn't seem like he is anytime soon. That's it. You've got like seven dudes on the left side. You've got Letty. You've got Krug. You've got Scandella. You've got Perunovic. You've got Rosen. You've got Tucker. Like The list goes on and on and on with this. 
you got to start clearing some space. What do you think Krug could get? If he was made available, like maybe not even at the deadline, but they explore the conversations now to see which teams have real interest in Tory Krug. And then you get into the offseason because I, I think that his skill set is the one that is maybe not most easily replaced, but you have somebody that has a similar skill set on your roster right now with Scott Perunovic. And he's cheap, cost-controlled. He's a guy that you have put a lot of development in terms of his to- the time into him. If they made Tory Krug available in the offseason, I, I don't even know what the answer to this question is. What do you think they could get? Yeah, that that's the tough one because I, I don't know how teams would view him. Tory Krug is a very good defenseman. He's a very good offensive defenseman who plays with grit. And he had one of his best seasons last year since he's been with the Blues. And it was 43 points. He was a plus 23. Uh, the biggest thing with Krug is, one, the contract. So if I'm not mistaken, you've got three more years following this season. You have with Tory Krug uh, four more years. After so this four year. more years, seven-year deal that he signed. Okay, so he's going to be thirty-five at the end of that contract. You're still got prime Tory Krug years. If a team really needs a power play quarterback and an offensive defenseman, I could see a team say, "We'll give you." It's not going to be anything that is sexy to people. A second round pick, something like that. I think it would be later than that. I think it would be later than that. And I think if the team's taking on all of that salary, which I'm assuming, if they're going to ship out a defenseman, in my opinion, it will be the return, another contract that a team wants to move on from. So a, a great example, and I, this is hypothetical, so don't take me for this, but Vancouver wants to get out of the Tyler Myers contract. I could see them saying, we'll give you Tyler Myers for Tory Krug. What about like Brock Besser? Maybe. Maybe, but I, like would that. the Blues want to take on the same amount of salary for a forward when they got a hole on their defense now? Maybe, because what I'm saying is you're replacing Tory Krug with Scott Perunovic That's who's making a million dollars, so you're getting... Mm-hmm. Maybe Perunovic ends up being worse than Krug. I think the expectation should be, honestly, that he's worse than Krug, but you're getting 70% of the production for... 15% of the cost. And so that's what the blues are doing in terms of the cost benefit analysis here is, okay, we got a guy in Brock Besser who we think can be a legitimate top six winger for Absolutely. us. And we repurpose that money for a guy that we were already going to have on our roster with Scott Perunovic, but now he just plays up a little bit more, or maybe it doesn't end up being Scott Perunovic that plays up. Maybe it's Callie Rosen that gets that, that left side top four minutes and Perunovic is your third pairing defenseman, but he replaces what Krug brought on the power play as well. So you get those power play minutes for him. And I only bring up Brock Besser because the same team and it's right. uh, instead of bringing back a, a defenseman, you get that forward. Maybe something like that. Yeah, uh, it's definitely. Like Scott Perunovich's first conditioning assignment is tonight for the Springfield Thunderbirds. So that's going to be something for people to pay close attention to on social media, how he performs. But yeah, Tory Krug gets moved if the Blues feel their left-handed defensemen need a bigger opportunity. I don't believe Nick Letty would have any interest on the market, although Nick Letty has played well in the last couple of games. To me, it comes down to one of those two guys, and all of that resides on how good is Scott Perunovic? Is he ready? Is he going to stay healthy? Um, can Callie Rosen be a top-four defenseman for us? Do we want more Tyler Tucker in our lineup? What's Marco Scandella's situation? The other spot, since we're on Vancouver, which I could see happening, is a guy like Oliver ekman Larson, where you take on a contract that's got four more years on it after this season for $7 million. 
and you get rid of a $6.5 million contract. Both guys 31 years old, both guys struggling this season. Maybe a change of scenery there. That's the only scenario that I so, could see a team trading away. The reason why I think that it makes more sense to get the forward is because the, you already have that glut defenseman-wise. Yes, so this I agree. Is, this is almost like uh, it, it's different, and hopefully it doesn't end the same way, but remember when the Cardinals had the glut in the outfield and they decided mm-hmm. Randy Rosarena was the guy that they wanted to move? What they get in return for him? They didn't get another outfielder. They got a pitcher because they needed pitching. The Rays had a ton of it. The Rays needed an outfielder. They had a ton of pitching. So you trade from your surplus, and that deal ended up, at the time, making sense in the eyes of both teams. Now you look back at it, and you say to yourself, man, we really wish we would have had Randy Rosarain instead of Matthew Libertor. But that's, that's why I think I look at it from the Blues' perspective, and they would say, instead of getting a – a defenseman in return with a contract that makes significant money. You get a top six forward. Top we get a forward. forward that ends up bringing value to us, and maybe it ends up being the same amount of money, but you repurpose that money for your top six as opposed to having it in your top four defensively. The problem then becomes the no trade clause because yep. you got to figure out what team. It's the same as the Vladimir Tarasenko situation, and the only difference is you know none of these guys have been outspoken of wanting to be traded. They they might not even want to get traded. Tory Krug might say, "No, I'm staying here. You gave me a no trade clause. I'm going to be here." And Doug Armstrong's arms or hands are tied there, but. If a team that is a contender feels that it's an upgrade to get a Tory Krug, you're absolutely on the right path. You get a forward, you maybe offset a million dollars. It's an underperforming forward for a team that needs a change of scenery. They get the defenseman that they're looking for. You get a forward, and then you figure it out in terms of the new face on that defenseman. Tory Krug might become a really intriguing option via trade deadline if Scott Perunovic continues to perform well in the AHL. I think the reason why all of this is so interesting to me in terms of the hockey trade side of it, the possibility of that, is because I think that's dictated by the Ryan O'Reilly decision. Because if you bring back O'Reilly, it probably precludes you from these negotiations for a hockey trade because you don't have the cap to make it work. If you don't bring back O'Reilly, now you could get involved in these conversations because now you've got the money to be able to repurpose and you just transition the six and a half million dollars from your defense to your forwards. Yeah. So I I think that's part of it as well is what you do at the deadline with O'Reilly extending versus trading and so on. That could have a significant effect in terms of what kind of deal you get in return for a Krug, for a Pareko, for a Letty, whoever ends up getting moved in the offseason, most likely. Maybe it's a team like Edmonton. And a guy like Jesse Puyarvi, who I've brought up, because they want Eric Carlson. Maybe Eric Carlson doesn't happen, but maybe Tory Krug happens. But so, again, all this comes into, is he willing to go to that team? Here's a random question for you, Alex. Somebody on our text line brought this up from the 314. Guys, just tune back in. Do you think that the Blues could still be back in on Chikrin? They have the first-round capital now. They have prospects with Bull Duke and Jimmy Snuggerud. Get a top defenseman now. Worry about getting rid of some of the other guys later on, and then you figure it all out. Do you do you think that all of the defensemen would flat out reject a trade to Arizona? Let me start here. The Blues' no. current defense. No, because people like Arizona, or players like Arizona. Arizona's a really good place to play, and if I'm a player that looks at it, it's an up-and-coming team. The problem is, if I'm 31, 32 years old, do I want to go to a team that's not going to be competitive for four years? I don't think it would be a complete, yeah, I'm done with, or I don't want to do that. But I, I, I do believe it would take some, it would take some convincing for a player to be willing to go to Arizona. I, I just, 
Doug's not going to make the move for Jacob Chikrin because you're gaining all of these assets because your team is bad. You, you don't want to go trade all of those assets and get one player in return and the team still be bad. Now you're stuck with a contract and you have no assets in the offseason. And here's the thing that doesn't work into the make the trade and figure it out later. You get stuck with that contract. It's only four and a half million bucks. But what I'm saying is you're adding four and a half million bucks to your roster. Now teams are not going to be willing to take that player off of your hands because they know you have to get rid of them. What I was going to say is I would assume Bill Armstrong is a pretty big fan of Colton Pareko. Maybe you are able to make it work that way. They've got a ton of cap space, so they could take on the extra two and a half million dollars this year. And then they they have now what they believe to be a replacement for Jacob Chikrin. You also end up getting first round picks in, in terms of capital there. And maybe you get a prospect as well. I think Arizona is looking more towards the future. So they probably wouldn't want the Colton Pareko piece in return for this as like a centerpiece for such a trade. But I, I was just thinking about it randomly when I when I saw this. Of, and the only way you're going to get a Jacob Chikrin, even if that is the way they go about it, is trading your first round pick. Are you willing to give up potentially a top eight pick no. for a Jacob Chikrin? I'm not going to do that. Well, I guess it depends. What do I think of Jacob Chikrin? We have a diff- we have differing thoughts on what Jacob Chikrin is. If I thought he was a legit number one defenseman, even I believe he's a, he's a number one defenseman, but I'm still not giving up a number eight overall pick. I would, I would, because I think with that number eight overall pick, I think the likelihood of you getting a player that becomes a legitimate number one defenseman there. It, I mean, we've talked about this. It's it's pretty light, and even if you think that you will, the likelihood of them becoming that while you're still in this core's prime, again, pre- pretty low because those guys age- tend to become. Uh, those guys tend to work out like four or five years down the road. But he's a free agent in two years. You can be able to keep him. I mean, you're going to have to pay him probably what you got uh, the Pareko deal on. And, and oh, becomes, he's going to get more than that, I would imagine, if he stays competitive. Sure. And, and it becomes a question of like, is he a legitimate number one defenseman? If he is, then yes, I, I'm. I, I would keep him. But then the, you're talking that same about question. a move clause. And I asked that same question about another number one yeah. defenseman, and we all know how that went. So. In 15 minutes, we're playing a game of ones. Got to go three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. I don't think the Blues are trading for Jacob Chikrin. I just like the hypothetical. It's an interesting one. <laughs> uh, coming up next, though, NFL quick hitters, including what the future holds for Eric Bieniemy, and why the heck can't this guy? seem to get a legitimate NFL head coaching opportunity. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, the big news in the NFL today is that Eric Bieniemy is still in Washington, D.C. on an interview with the Washington Commanders. Yeah, that's a long interview. He's been there for the last few days. He got out there for an, a formal interview after the Chiefs parade and has since been talking with Ron Rivera, according to a bunch of different reports. Uh, Andy Reid has talked to Ron Rivera, who was previously an assistant for Andy Reid, saying, hey, th- this is a guy that is worth taking uh, that job. Ian Rappaport says both sides are working through specifics, but the enemy is the top choice. And if all goes well, it should be official by the end of the day today. I'm really frustrated by this, guys. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I think that Eric Bieniemy is more than qualified to be an NFL head coach. 
I have never seen in my time watching the NFL an offensive coordinator that coordinated an offense at this level for five years and went to three Super Bowls, one, two of them, has gone to five straight AFC Championship games, hosting all five, not get an opportunity as a head coach. Last time I saw anything like this was um, Jim, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, the, the Colts old coach, then he went to the Lions. Earth? No, not Earth. Uh, Caldwell. Oh, Caldwell. Caldwell. Jim yeah. Caldwell. He was just hired again. He was the last one that I can remember having to wait this long, and he didn't have to wait as long, and then he ended up getting a job within the, his own organization with the Colts. Alex, do you do you think this is a smart move for Eric Bieniemy to try to go out on his own to remove that question from his resume of how much of this was him, how much of it was Andy Reid? Do I think it's a smart move? Probably for his sake. But I think it's a stupid move because why does he have to do this? I asked you that earlier today. Like, is this because it's you're with Andy Reid, or is it because guys don't want to take a chance on him? And and I think it's I think it's frustrating that you have to look at a guy and say, well, we can't hire. And maybe there's more to the story that I don't know. But from the outside perspective, it's frustrating that you look at a guy and say, well, he would make a good head coach because we don't have Patrick Mahomes and we don't have Andy Reid. You know how many trash offensive coordinators have been hired that they've said, well, he can make that work, so he could be a head coach, and it doesn't work in a year. You know who got hired because of Patrick Mahomes? Cliff Kingsbury. He I was just going to say, Cliff Kingsbury is a perfect example of why you don't hire somebody and say, he'll be great, and he, it doesn't work. He couldn't win with Patrick Mahomes in college. In college. Yep. He was in charge of that offense and then got hired by the Cardinals to bring that offense to, to Kyler Arizona. Murray. And so that's what I don't understand is like if Cliff can get that job based upon basically riding the coattails of Patrick Mahomes and a lack of success that he had with Patrick Mahomes, where is this with Eric Bieniemy? We got this on the text line. Somebody said, guys, he's the uh, assistant to the offensive coordinator with Andy Reid. Sure. Was that held against Matt Nagy when Nagy was hired by the Bears? No, he got hired. Was that high, or was that held against Doug Peterson when he became the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles? No, it was the same situation. Both of them ended up getting head coaching jobs, despite the fact that they were not the play caller in Kansas City. So I, I just think that it's silly. There's a lot of coordinators that are not the play callers. Hell, Zach Taylor, guy that was the quarterback's coach, wasn't even the offensive coordinator in L.A., got the head coaching job in Cincinnati. It's worked out pretty well for him. I was wrong on Zach Taylor, but I don't even know if Eric Bieniemy would be a, a good head coach. I have no idea. The fact that he has not been offered that opportunity, yeah. though, to me, is laughable. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I do think it's smart, though. I, I would oh, also have this. To. If I'm Eric Bieniemy, this is the same move I'm making because I need to eliminate that question mark. But I think it's silly that he needs to do that, but he, he does. Now the chance goes that if you struggle with a team that doesn't have a good quarterback, and look, I mean, he's going to fall victim to go into a team. Yep. I mean, what, Carson Wentz? Like, Really? Is Carson Wentz going to be the reason that Eric Bieniemy does not get a, a head coach job? That, to me, is unfair on that side of it because now he's going to be judged on, oh, okay, take this bad quarterback and make him like Patrick Mahomes. Guess what? The talent level's not there. Somebody said maybe Eric Bieniemy doesn't want to be a head coach. He's interviewed with 17 teams. I'm pretty say. sure he wants to be a head coach. Otherwise, he's wasted a lot of his time. I told BK I was talking about this when I was hosting a show on KMOX. That's how long he's been not getting a job. All right, let's get into continue with NFL quick hitters. This comes from Ian Rappaport. Guys, today Derek Carr is on a visit in New York with the Jets. He already previously took a visit with the Saints as well. Oh, poor Zach Wilson. Well, Zach Wilson ain't going to be starting. For Poor Joe year. Flacco. I don't even know if Joe Flacco is going to be in the NFL next year. 
if you were the if you were the Jets, would you rather trade for Aaron Rodgers and all that comes with him, including the contract and his uh, retreats that he goes darkness retreats that he goes on, or just sign Derek Carr? I would rather sign Derek Carr because I'd be worried that Aaron Rodgers is um, fading away quickly. I mean, you struggled in Green Bay when Devontae Adams left, and then now you're going to go to a New York Jets team. Um, I would take a chance on Derek Carr. The problem is how long of a contract am I signing with this? Because if I'm making a long-term commitment and it doesn't work, I'm slow playing my roster in terms of trying to get into a championship window, which I who knows if the Jets can ever get there. I thought they had a good roster this year, but I would be more likely to take a chance on a Derek Carr than an Aaron Rodgers. See, I would much rather trade for Aaron Rodgers. I, <laughs> I think Aaron Rodgers, even if he has a bad year, would be better than Derek Carr near his best. I, I just think Rodgers is that much better than Derek Carr. I, I would be willing to trade whatever it takes to get Aaron Rodgers to New York because I think I think he makes him a contender right away, even in a tough AFC, because I agree with you. I, I love the roster from last year. I, I'm not sure how much Carr can really propel them forward. I know Rodgers can. I know Rodgers can take them to the next level. I, I would go Rodgers definitely by far number one over Derek Carr. And if you miss out on Rodgers, then I think you pivot to Derek Carr. I think I'm on the same side as Tanner and I do so begrudgingly. If you've got an opportunity to be able to say, okay, we're going to we're gonna get Aaron Rodgers, I think you just got to take it. I know he's 39 years old. You might only get one, maybe two, at most probably three years left in his career. I do think, though, if you're looking at, okay, where does he rank among the top quarterbacks in the NFL? He's still top 10. I don't think even in his best years you expect to be able to say that about Derek Carr. So I would rather have Rodgers. But if I'm a team like Carolina, man, do you know how quickly I would be on the phone with Derek Carr? Oh, boy, I I would be moving heaven and earth to be able to get that guy to be my next head or my next quarterback, because since they ended the prime years of Cam Newton, they have had nobody to be able to operate that offense at a high level. Tampa Bay, if I'm Tampa, I've got an opportunity to bring Derek Carr down there. That's something that I would be looking to do. If you're one of these teams that doesn't have another great route to get a franchise quarterback, I think Derek Carr is a great option for you. If you're somebody, though, that is in it legitimately in the mix for, for Rodgers, I think you got to go that route instead. Uh, this comes from Jordan Ronan of ESPN.com. He says that the expectation is that Daniel Jones is going to be asking for $35 million per year and that Saquon Barkley could reach $14 million per year, essentially a $50 million per year paycheck for that quarterback-running back combination. Alex, you still wanting to re-sign? Danny Dimes? No, not for that money. <laughs> not for that money. Um, I would rather sign Saquon Barkley for the money he's asking than Daniel Jones for the money he's asking. Uh, I, I liked Daniel Jones's performance against the Minnesota Vikings because, I, I mean, he, he looked like a competitor there. And maybe with another season of he and Brian Dable, they could get it more competitive. But, my God, that much money for him? I can't pay $40 million for an average quarterback. Yeah, I'm not giving Danny Dimes $35 million. I, I would much rather just end up going to the free agent market trying to get Derek Carr or Geno Smith rather than having Danny Dimes at $35 million. Or honestly, hell, I would just throw a average backup quarterback out there for a year and, and kind of retool on the fly potentially from the Giants rather than commit myself to $35 million for Daniel Jones. Yeah, th that's 100% where I'm at. I, I would not be paying $35 million for Daniel Jones. I think that ends up looking like a huge mistake if they decide to go that route. Did you guys see the news yesterday? 
Travis Kelsey going to be hosting SNL Saw in a couple that. of weeks? That's like the best pick that they could have chosen from that Super Bowl team. Do you th- well, they normally don't do this. Joe Montana, Walter Payton, Dion, Tom Peyton Brady, Manning Peyton Manning, uh, Eli did it, J.J. Watt's done it. It's pretty rare. You you rarely see NFL players, O.J. Simpson, uh, hosted well. SNL. <laughs> Uh, you have to be at a, a different level of superstardom to be able to host on SNL. How do you think Kelsey? Travis Kelsey will do? Are you kidding me? Did you see his speech on the big stage and that uh, the the, uh, the parade championship? You think he'll be good? Oh, God, yes. Are you kidding me? Travis Kelsey has just gotten, and I know T-Bone just, oh, he's cringing back in the studio listening to this. Travis <laughs> Kelsey has just got that persona around him that he's entertaining. He's fun. Uh, again, he's probably the only one that would have worked off of that Super Bowl team. You can't do this with Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes isn't that guy unless you get him like 15 cores light deep. Then he just hands off the Super Bowl trophy to somebody. But this is Travis Kelsey's repertoire. Like, this is him. He's going to be in front of the lights. He's going to be scripted around the entertainment factor. He's To me, he seems like the next Peyton Manning. Uh, see, um, I, I don't think not, he'll... Not in terms of quarterback tight end you know what I'm talking about I'm not, I'm not sure I, I, I'm not as high on it that he'll be that good on SNL just because I've never really seen him do something comedically like Manning has done stuff like he has the Everything commercials does. where I've seen it where he's good Kelsey has energy he has energy he has that persona of being a guy that's just out there with great energy I've never seen him do something that's comical though so I, I, I have some skepticism of if he'll be good on SNL well you're saying that because what he said you know, post uh, victory in the Super Bowl wasn't comical to you. No, I, I, no, I just think you no energy. But you know, you can't be an underdog when you're favored in 17 to 20 games. <laughs> there it is. There's Grandpa. There he is. There he is. He made an appearance. Appreciate you, uh, you doing that for us. I, I think he's got a chance to be really good at it. I mean, I, I think that in general SNL has oh, gotten to a place bad. where like, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a great show. You typically get like. Boy, Really good skits every week and i think that in those kelsey has a chance to be pretty darn good so I- i'm looking forward to it i think he'll be better than like jj watt i th- i don't think he'll be peyton peyton was the you don't get better than what peyton was on but was SNL. that but was that peyton or was that the script writers around him? maybe all the above because the script writing is just the dodgeball skit was amazing oh the dodgeball <laughs> skit and then um the with the kids the football the, where they were playing the throwing, yeah, they threw it in the back of the head. <laughs> like, there's nothing better than that. But to me, that's script writing, and script writing for SNL is just awful. At that time, they were in their prime as SNL. That yeah, was great. All right, coming up in about ten minutes or so, we'll get to the BK and for our real rewind. But coming up next, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. is the air comfort service tax line you give us four options we'll tell you which one's got to go we'll start with one's got to go recreational sports edition alex softball indoor soccer roller hockey or flag football which one's got to go this is simple for me soccer i can't play it (laughs) i get too winded (laughs) really oh god yeah i played it when i was in uh 
in grade school, and I think I played it freshman year of high school, and I was the kid that vomited after the first half because I couldn't keep up. Played goal once, and that was bad, too. So, uh, see you, soccer. <laughs> I enjoy I enjoy indoor soccer. I, I think the one for me would have to be roller hockey because I can't 100%. skate to save my life. I, I went well, roller ice. Roller hockey, I can't. Roller skating is easier than ice skating because it's not as thin a blade, but I went ice skating and hurt myself too much to even try and go do roller hockey, so that one's got to go for me. Yeah, I have no skills when it comes to any of these, of course, but I feel like I would be the worst at roller hockey. There's a 100% chance I hurt myself somehow. Now, I also played in uh, Tory Holt's uh, flag, or excuse me, Isaac Bruce's flag football tournament with 101 ESPN a few years back and ended up with stitches in my mouth. So, like, flag football could have poorly for me as well. But roller hockey, there, there's a guarantee that it goes poorly for me. One's got to go for the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals. Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty. If you had to get rid of one, who are you going with? I'll say, <laughs> say it. You want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. For 2023 alone, yeah, I think it's Montgomery. Oh, see, mine was going to be Miles Michaelis. I chuckled because I was going to say Jack Flaherty because let's be real, he's probably going to be gone in 2023 anyway because he's going to be injured. reason I'm not going Flaherty here is because I think he is your best chance at having an ace. I think Montgomery, Michaelis, and Wayno are all close enough that I would go with the longer tenures here in St. Louis. I would keep Michaelis and Wayno. Montgomery would be the one that I would get rid of. I would, For 2023, long term, though, that would not be the case. I would get rid of Michaelis because I, I, if I got Wayno and Flaherty, I want that lefty, and that's my Jordan Montgomery. Plus, I think Montgomery can be what Michaelis was last year. Man, I'll, I'll be the villain. I'll say Wayno. Wayno. Dude, I, it's, I think the, he, it's the goodbye tour. I get it, but I, the other three, I think, have so much upside that it plays more into your season. I think the Wayno thing's more of just kind of the heartthrob stuff. So, uh, sorry, Wayno. We gotta go. All right. Rub that in your face. One's gotta go. Human obsession with our own demise movies. Tanner, I, I wonder how many of these you've seen. It's Armageddon. Dark. Terminator. The Matrix. Or I Am Legend. So, are we going the one that we feared most or the movie we No, the one that you most? dislike. Okay. You keep the other three, the other one's it gotta go. It would probably forever. be The Matrix. Really? You, I Am Legend was the last one, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, because I love I Am Legend. Armageddon would be the GOAT of these. And I, I was a bigger fan of Terminator than the first Matrix. The second Matrix is where I, like, bought in because that one was the better of the three. It may shock you. I've seen three of the four, and the one I haven't really? seen is Armageddon. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen one, Terminator, man. Matrix, and I Am Legend. I actually, even though I haven't seen Armageddon, I would get rid of I Am Legend. I, I wasn't all that Same. big a fan of it. Oh, so see, I say I, I, I Legend's got to go. I thought I Am Legend was one of his better movies. I, I would get rid of I Am Legend. That would be my so last good. on my list for sure. So good. All right, final one here. One's got to go Cold City Edition. Florida. Denver, Minneapolis, Chicago, or Milwaukee. I've only been to two of these. I've only been to Denver and Chicago, so I'm, it's tough for me to be able to say. I've heard great things about Minneapolis and Milwaukee. I'm a bigger beer guy. Milwaukee is certainly known for that, so I would probably get rid of Minneapolis. I love Denver and Chicago, though. I've only been to one of these, and it was Chicago, and it was like spring, summertime, oh, really? so I've never been there when it's cold, but uh, I, I 
have talked to plenty of people that live in Minnesota around wintertime that are hockey people, and that place is miserable. So I will stay the hell away from Minneapolis when it comes to cold weather. I'll take my chances on the other three. See, I'm getting rid of Chicago because my uncle lives there, and uh, he's told me that winters are brutal with that wind chill. So uh, I got to get rid of Chicago. The wind's the thing that just takes it and separates it from the rest. Go up a little more north and test, test that wind chill out. Coming up next, the BK and Ferrario Rewind as we recap the week here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Hey, by the way, tomorrow I am set to fulfill my punishment for losing one of the weeks during the Pick'em Challenge, one of my 12 different losses this season. I'm taking the polar plunge tomorrow afternoon. That's going to be at 1 o'clock over at Creve Core Lake in Maryland Heights. If you want to come out, uh, say hello. Watch me as I uh, Enjoy my and really enjoy my misery as I'm getting into a freezing cold lake this oh, weekend. Yeah. Misery when it's sixty something degrees outside. Feel free to come on by, say hello. It snowed yesterday. I have a feeling that the lake's going to be a little bit. Ah, cold it'll be fine once again. Uh, so we'll be doing that tomorrow. If you want to check again. out the full details, 101ESPN.com is where you can find. Once again, it. T-Bone BK copping out on a punishment. <laughs> Final thing here today, guys. It was just announced a little bit ago that Scott Rowland is going to enter the Hall of Fame with a Cardinals logo on his cap, as he should, damn it. Amen. This is the right decision Take by that, everybody Philly. involved. Uh, I'm happy to see it. I'm really happy to see it. I would ask, I, I'm curious, do you think he gets a statue here in St. Louis? Is he one of the statue guys? I think he's going to get a statue with all the other smaller statues out front. That's kind of what like, I was thinking. I think the next three statues are Yachty, Pujols, and, and Roland. And Roland's going to start that. And then once the other two go into the Hall of Fame, that's where they get in. Wayno, too. Oh, yeah, Wayno. But you got to put Scott Roland there. Uh, I mean, he signifies that era of baseball just like Albert Pujols will and just like Yachty or Molina will. I'm with you. I, I think he will end up with a statue along with Albert, Yachty, and Wayno. And I think it should be one – Trying to think what would be the statue. I don't know if it's his batting stance because his stance was kind of memorable. It's or it's be him, him diving at third base. I'll say either him diving at third or him doing a barehanded play would be what I would think would be the defensive one yeah, if you're doing it a for a rolling statue. Yeah, I think that's the way that it goes. Yeah. Do, you, do Goldie and Arenado end up getting them? If they get think, in the Hall of Fame, I think, I think, I think definitely so. will. And, and Goldie, I think, is eventually going to get into the Hall of Fame. Is Arenado going with the Cardinals helmet? That's my yeah. question. You yeah. think so? Absolutely. Even for how many gold gloves he won 100%. with the Colorado Rockies? Especially if he wins here? Oh, yeah. I'd agree. He's been he's been trying to get to St. Louis for like a half a decade. <laughs> half of his time in Colorado, he was dreaming about what it would be like to be in St. Louis. Paul Goldschmidt, now that you he's would here, too, and he just gave up. God only knows how much money to stay here. Paul Goldschmidt, too, you would imagine, because he won the MVP. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would imagine you put those guys. I guess the question becomes: Are they Hall of Famers? 
And or my, Arnauto, definitely. My no, quote no doubt my about it would be yes. And if I they're Hall of Famers, I think Goldie does now that he got the the MVP. I think if you're a Hall of Famer and you put that Cardinal logo on your helmet at the, or on the plaque, then you deserve a helmet, in my opinion. Or if you, you deserve a statue, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think that's kind of where I'm at as well. I think those guys, if they end up winning in a significant way here in St. Louis, that even takes it to a whole nother oh, yeah. level. Uh-huh. Um, for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. Alex has a full weekend of hockey oh, ahead of him. Back-to-back games this weekend. You'll hear all the action right here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. Coming up from 2 to 6, my understanding is it's Anthony Stalter. And Michelle Smallman on the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.